Hello and welcome to Decoding the Gurus, the podcast where an anthropologist and a psychologist listen to the greatest minds the world has to offer, and we try our best to understand what they're talking about. I'm Professor Matt Brown, and with me is my better half, Chris, or Christina, as my wife likes to call him, Kavanaugh. Welcome, yeah. Chris. Abusive start to 2021, Matt. Wait, no, it's not 2021, is it? It's a brand new year. It's, it's the 2022 series of Decoding the Gurus. The season that no one asked for, but is here. <laughs> <laughs> We're big boys now. We're more than a year old. We've got our big boy pants on. And that's appropriate because today we are heading back to the world of the anti-vaxxers. The biggest babies in the internet world. I'm really looking forward to the end of COVID. And it's not for the reason that most people are looking forward to it, to be able to go on and live their lives and go traveling and stuff. I'm just looking forward to the end of COVID so that we could just stop hearing from these idiots. And we can go back to talking about culture war nonsense, like the good old days, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like who got shouted down on campus this week? Yeah. Those innocent days of yore, but I, I agree. It does seem somewhat quaint in the COVID age, and I guess mass gatherings and all that kind of thing. Lectures, imagine that. But mm. we weren't intending this, Matt. We were going to look at Bob Wright, but we've been forced by circumstance to get back into the Rogan verse. Where... You, pro you promised me, Robert Wright, you promised me someone just, you know. Not no. Joe Rogan. No. <laughs> Not talking to Joe Rogan. That was the promise. <laughs> yes. It's like the Godfather pulled me back in. Uh, we, yeah. yeah. So we have, to, we have to talk about it because it's continuing. There's more of it. It's probably important. That's right. We are going to get in to it, Matt, but I'm, I'm going to take you on a little short detour. I promise. I promise. Okay. All the people listening, it will be short this time. We're going to get yeah. to the gurus quickly because we've got a lot of clips to cover. But I, I want to let you know about a petty grievance. What? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine, Matt, now, this one's particularly petty. And self-indulgent as well. It's Weinsteinian in its nature. So I mm. think you'll uh, appreciate this. So, you know, we have a subreddit, right? You tried to create a competing Discord from the one that was launched, <laughs> but you didn't make a competing subreddit. <laughs> so we, we have a subreddit full of usually quite interesting chat and differing opinions. And sometimes people post up things that are wrong, Matt. Opinions that are what? wrong. Really? <laughs> Yeah. How upsetting. Or, or even worse, mm. they're insulting. They're insulting or they dare to disagree with analysis that we have presented or something like that. And of course, oh, as soon as they do that, they're exercised. We just, we contact the moderators behind the scenes and say, get that guy out of here. Get him out. <laughs> <laughs> right? but, but this one slipped through, Matt. A critical comment slipped through and... I don't think you will have seen it, but it's a meme, an edited meme. You know, uh, I think it's like one of the variations of the NPC meme or something. I don't know. I'm not super into my meme culture, but it's mm. the one where there's a guy, a black and white kind of image, and there's a guy standing at the bar, the corner of a party with a party hat on, watching yep. the other people like dance and write, and you add the captions in, right? Oh, 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 yes. I've, I'm looking at it now. Yeah. Now, 
what this predator has done is they've edited it to suggest that the person standing in the corner looking forlorn is me. And they're saying, they don't know I have Northern Irish sarcasm. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. Now, and implying that, that, in case you didn't get that, the title of the thing that is shared is, yes, we do. <laughs> That's all you talk about. <laughs> okay. So I've, they, they, I, it's. I, I've just upvoted it. Um, <laughs> no, Matt, no, that's the wrong way to, to do that. I'll just downvote that. It's double. I'm sure that's how it works. But, but um, yeah, you know, like, Matt, we can all enjoy a joke at our own expense, right? We all yeah. love that. We all, we all, and my, maybe, maybe I've mentioned once or twice that uh, I come from a country that values sarcasm. Hmm. I, maybe, you know. There's a cornucopia of opinions available on, on Reddits, but I do have minor quibble. I just like the, you know, okay. we is right. for okay. the okay. consideration of user unpronounceable string of letters. You know, Matt, when we don't mention that, like when we don't highlight that we are speaking from a position that is not based in America, or we don't highlight our political proclivities. What do we get? We normally get feedback demanding that we do that because we have to acknowledge that we have different cultural values that other people don't share and that our politics influence our positions. So, yeah. yeah. So, I'm just saying, Matt, we're fucking damned if we do and damned <laughs> if we don't. If, if we don't mention that, we'll get feedback complaining that we're not mentioning it. And if yeah. we do mention it, we get memes. We get memes saying, st stop mentioning it. Stop telling, stop, stop showing off here from Northern Ireland. <laughs> that, that, the epitome of sarcastic culture in the Western world. Your thing is very fair. Very fair. I mean, you know, it's so easy to criticize, isn't it? It's hard to create. You put something out there and these ankle yeah. biters, these nitpickers. They're operating outside of the full context, Matt. They don't have see behind the scenes. Have they listened to all of the episodes? Have they, have they, you know, I, I think they're taking isolated moments out of context in order to make us look bad or me I, specifically, which is, you know, really, worse. is that yeah. not the real time? Okay. <laughs> Here. Um, I, look, if, if anybody wants to make a supercut of all the times that Chris has mentioned he's from Northern Ireland, uh, Northern Irish sarcasm, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, no. You Just, have to join the Patreon because it's like double behind the walls. Yeah. <laughs> but Matt, people, look, you know what I'm going to say? People are lazy, Matt. People don't do that. They just make memes. I could make that meme. <laughs> to go and gather the clips, they'd have to do the thing which takes time, you know? Go through, mm. listen to the episodes, take clips. That's the thing that takes real effort and work. Yeah. That's the thing. That not many people can do, Matt. This is why you'll never beat him. Um, unpronounceable ring of characters. <laughs> it never backfires when you make challenges on the internet to make you look bad. So <laughs> that's, it. that's it. But that, that's my petty grievance for this week. Very much on brand for you, Chris. That that's was right. good. I'll, and I'm, sure, I'm sure this won't lead to further beams or um, taking no, a piss. No, it won't. Yeah. I'll, uh, it, it, God, if the subreddit fills up, we'll have to 
just have to ban them. We'll just ban them have all. to ban them all. <laughs> but another thing, Matt, I've got a recommendation. This is a positive thing to balance my negativity. I'm following my New Year's resolutions here. Mm. And I want to mention, there's this little thing that you might not have heard of. It's quite difficult to pronounce. It's an animation uh -oh. series on your chat called Kyrgyzak. Kyrgyzak. Is that right? I think it is. That's right. Yeah. So okay. what it is, Matt, mm -hmm. is this... This little animation <laughs> series where where people you know they they do about science communication and now every time I get an annoying libertarian contrarian IDW type on Twitter complaining about how they weren't given the full information and this is why they have to you know the vaccines we don't trust them and stuff I just send them this little video by Kurzgesagt. <laughs> that explains why science communication, public health authorities and stuff, why they might have to sometimes provide simplistic messages and why sometimes they might get things wrong. And it's mm. actually not a huge thing. It's a known problem now. Yeah. But you may have heard this before. Mm. You, might, you might have a big inkling about this because you may have been the source of this recommendation. But I think I'm going to recommend this endlessly periodically because I've just enjoyed it so much. It's like the videos are so good. The information is nice. And I genuinely think it gives you better information than listening to six hours of experts on Joe Rogan talk about the immune system and vaccines. Nice. Just watch the 10 minute animation on Kurzgesagt about <laughs> vaccines and you'll be better informed. I'm going to keep calling it Kasergus Act because that's just how my brand has decided it is. Yeah, so, I, it's annoying that. me having mm. to pause that. And, and you know, the people saying, <laughs> that's another thing, man. Another thing. <laughs> 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 no, there, there were people complaining about how badly we butchered that the last time I mentioned that. And, mm. and they have a point, but do they have a point? It's a weird German word because Kasergus Act seems fine. Yeah. We, can't pronounce right. we can't pronounce common names. Like their expectations are too high. They need to they are. lower them. I need to lower it. And I'm not doing, I, I, that pause is not for traumatic effect. That's actually my brain pronunciation. <laughs> I'm sure I got it wrong as well. So that's it. That's the last time you'll hear the correct pronunciation. I might take a break from promoting it for the next episode or two, but it will come back. Yeah. It's got a yeah. very good series on ants and they don't sponsor us, right? They don't no. give us any money. I just think they're a good thing for the world that people yep. should go and seek out. And they have a nice series on the immune system and how that's it works. the thing. Mm. That's the thing I've been watching. I mean, like, mm. this is, I got more from this than <laughs> hours and hours of Rogan. Like, well, there we go. Uh, there we go. There we go. Evangelizing about Kazurgus hat. So, the other little thing on our agenda is I just want to plug our Decoding Academia series, which is very sadly behind the paywall for those of you who do not donate. What was the last one on? The Iterated Prisons Dilemma, which we did a very bad job of explaining the prisons dilemma. But I think we initially, kind of, initially, we but I think it we, back. we pulled it back. We pulled it out of the fire. Uh, That's in, right. That this out. is our contribution to the guru sphere where we are talking about iterated prisoners dilemma and researcher degrees of freedom and beliefs being like possessions. Just papers. Yeah. We like stuff in academia and that kind of thing. And yeah. if that sounds like your cup of tea, it is yeah. available for any of the tiers in yeah. the Patreon. And if it doesn't sound like your cup of tea, fuck off. 
<laughs> you don't need to listen in. Don't complain about it. That's fine. <laughs> and I don't think we're like if you rattle off those topics, it might sound a little bit guru esque, right? Because you might not be familiar with the specifics. But it's I just think, academic. I think anyone can follow along with that. Like it's not rocket science. And I think we explain eventually each of the concepts. So hopefully, hopefully it's good. Yeah, um, like those were random words but it's like we're choosing papers that are we think are relevant for research and sometimes understanding gurus better and that kind of thing so yeah. uh yeah it's just something to help us from getting dragged down into just listening to joe rogan and jp sears talk mm. about the coronavirus we That's need right. a break we need, we a, need break. a break Cause, sometimes because I, I would burn out doing nothing but that stuff i need my little rewards and I demanded it's it. Kind of and academics talking about research papers. What a concept. And the, <laughs> and the other thing is, it's, it's just a helpful reminder that like the only way that a lot of people interact with academic research online is through the culture war. It's yeah. papers about rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's what's been retracted, which recent IQ study has come out this week. What horrible evolutionary psychology paper, like what yeah, fresh Gans new hell is this? latest, <laughs> or Jordan Peterson's latest brain fart, right? But that's not what most research is about. That's genuinely not. So there's plenty of interesting, good research, including related to evolutionary topics and how it applies to humans that you can cover. And we are doing for our ourselves and those interested. So yeah, if you would think that, Sounds interesting. That is available like on the Patreon. That's it. Good. That's all our business taken care of. It is. So now, <laughs> uh, yeah. on to the joyful what? task of talking mm. about Joe Rogan again. Mm. <laughs> yes. And what guest are we talking what about guest? today? Yeah. Chris? So, Matt, this is a little bit of a uh, unique episode because we're going to cover for this episode Robert Malone and we'll talk a little bit about who he is in a minute but there is another figure Dr. Peter McCullough these were two episodes that were on the Joe Rogan experience a couple of weeks apart but they related to the same topic which was COVID vaccine conspiracies, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, various other things that we'll talk about. But they're very much of a pair. And we thought it might be interesting to do a very short episode just looking at some of the rhetorical techniques that they use and whether they differ or where they're similar. Now, when we began clipping, we ended up with 80 plus clips for Robert Malone alone, and about 50 plus for McCulloch. So that's a full-length episode, which is why you are now being treated to a full-length episode. So we're going to do Robert Malone, which is the most recent episode on Joe Rogan's podcast, episode 1757. And the one with Peter McCulloch is 1747. So 10 episodes apart. So I guess we need to introduce both Malone and McCulloch. But before we do, one point to make, and it's important, is we are well aware 
that we do not have the requisite medical expertise to get into the weeds on some of the technical issues. These people, particularly Peter McCulloch, can rattle off medical terms at an impressive trip. And, and we can't. And as we'll see, it's inevitable that we have to get into some of the things that they claim, which are easily fact-checkable and easily provable to be wrong. But if you want a technical breakdown of their claims that are rebutted by credentialed experts, those exist. And we're going to put them in the show notes. There's two in particular for Peter McCulloch. There's one by Z-Dog MD, who, who has an interesting name, but is a kind of heterodox inclined doctor on YouTube. And he did a breakdown showing the various things that McCulloch gets wrong. And there is another YouTuber called, how, what was it called? Debunk, Debunk the Funk. Yes, Debunk the Funk, which did a breakdown of the Robert Malone episode, uh, a 30-minute, quite condensed breakdown, primarily focused on the medical claims that he makes, which are inaccurate. Is he a doctor? Mm. What's his credential? Uh, a PhD in molecular biology that covers bad science while making good science accessible. That's Debunk the Funk. And we'll post links to those. So we don't want this episode to be a fact-checking, a debunking so much as what we do, decoding the guru-esque aspects that our takes are informed by smarter, more credentialed people who have looked into the various claims that are made by these figures. It's also worth noting that this episode of Robert Malone on Joe Rogan has attracted a great deal of controversy, as has Joe Rogan's general slide into anti-vax misinformation. But this particular episode is all over the news. Somebody uploaded this episode to YouTube and it was taken down for misinformation. So yeah, it's a hot topic. Yeah. So Peter McCulloch is a cardiologist, a quite well credentialed cardiologist who has a bunch of publications that's highly cited and was generally well-respected until this pandemic. And he has carpet bombed his credibility. He was sued by the hospital that he was previously associated with to stop using their name and damaging their credentials. So that gives an indication. He now has his own podcast, which I've listened to. And my God, it's, we'll, we'll talk about it. But he does have genuine expertise and credentials, right? That's a fact. When it comes to Robert Malone, the, the way Joe Rogan described him was the inventor of nine original mRNA vaccine patents, um, close to 100 peer-reviewed publications, which are, have been cited over 12,000 times, that the, the president of the Global COVID Summit, an organization of 16,000 doctors and scientists committed to speaking truth to power about COVID pandemic research and treatment, so on and so forth. This is somebody who rose to prominence largely off an appearance with our good friend, Brett Weinstein, on his Dark Horse podcast, where he was presented as the inventor of the mRNA vaccines, which are currently helping billions of people worldwide. And he has come out, as we'll see, very critical about them and claimed that he's not been given due credit for his role in inventing them. And if the inventor 
of a new technology came out with dire warnings, it would usually give people pause. So there's a, a clear reason why he would be somebody that people would pay attention to, if it is true that he is the inventor. If it is true. And should we get into that now? I, I do think that's a good place to start. But before any of that, there's one clip that we have to play, Matt, that contextualizes this episode in general. It's an old clip. It's from back in the day, right? And it, it very much is a kind of post note to our episode on Joe Rogan. This clip bubbled up through the internet crevices. And it's an old episode where Joe Rogan is on another show, Opie and Andy, I think it's called, like a morning zoo kind of show. Mm. And well, let's just listen to it. It's a little bit long, but I'll play the clip. Then we can see what we think about it. Creature. There's some crazy shit that they haven't even discovered yet. You know, just recently they found a new species of chimpanzee in the Congo. A gigantic chimpanzee that's over six feet tall. It's really? called the Bondo Ape. The locals have two different names for chimpanzees. They have what they call the tree beaters and the lion killers. And the lion killers are these gigantic chimpanzees. They're like six feet tall. They get to be like 400 pounds. They sleep on the ground because they don't give a fuck. They don't have to sleep in trees. Could you imagine a chimp, shit, a chimp that's not not four feet tall, but the chimp that's <laughs> yeah. six foot tall, four hundred pounds, just a giant, and they walk upright. That's the crazy thing. If you look it online, look up a uh, giant mystery ape. It's called the Bondo ape. It's in a part of the Congo called Bili. Hold it's on, different than any other animal. Allison yeah. from Florida is going to challenge you. Allison, go ahead. Yeah, I'm a primatologist. There's no such thing as a as a Bondo ape. You're a fucking idiot. Go online and look it up. You're a what? What do you do? It's a new discovery. You're a primatologist. Well, look it up. You're not current. Pay attention. Go online and look it up. Um, yeah, this is Yeah, you've learned some shit from the call. When did you graduate? I have a PhD from When 2000. did you graduate? When? From 2000. Yeah, when was the last time you got online and researched primates? Have you ever looked <laughs> at any of the new discoveries? Primates. Have you looked at any of Carl Amon's work? Yeah, I've been asking. What are you laughing at? Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? I'll tell you why you're laughing, because you don't have a point. So you're trying to, oh, you're ridiculous. That's rid I have a PhD. Meanwhile, there's all sorts of photographs of this, this primate, this gigantic chimpanzee. Not only that, it's on National Geographic, stupid. NationalGeographic.com. CNN.com, stupid. No, 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 no. There's bones. There's tissue samples. There's hair. There's fecal matter. There's all sorts okay. of different things. Now, they've mapped the DNA of this animal already? Oh, please. Thank we you mean, oh, please, stupid. You haven't paid it. attention to it at all. These are legitimate scientists and primatologists <laughs> that are in the Congo studying this thing. And you don't know. Yet you're calling up. You've done zero research on this. You haven't looked into it at all. You're telling me we know all the animals that are in the world? Are you telling me we know all the animals in this gigantic, several thousand mile long, intense rainforest? We've mapped that There's out. There's another fake chimpanzee out No, it's not a fake, stupid. It's, it's not a fake. Listen, they have skulls. Listen to me. They have skulls. They have hair. They have fecal samples. They have photographs. They have a dead one. Okay? Yeah. Bye. Not fringe. CNN. Okay? National Geographic. All these different legitimate scientific resources. Go look it up. Bye.
You'd okay. like to prove that, wouldn't yeah. you? Get to the <laughs> National Geographic. Silly, listen to it. Oh, hi, I'm a PhD. I mean, why do people argue about something that they haven't looked into at all? Why wouldn't she, as a primatologist, go, whoa, for real? Let me look into that. Holy shit. Well, well, that makes sense. I mean, how could they possibly know all the primates? I mean, couldn't there possibly be another one? But no. Where was she from? Uh, I'm a primatologist. Those are fringe sites. Like, National Geographic is a fucking fringe site. CNN is a fucking fringe site. And that's what it angers me about people. They think that they know without even looking into it. That is insane. Oh. Yeah. I have a vagina. Yeah, how about that? There's so much there, but before we talk about it, the first thing that occurs to me is ladies should find someone who feels about you like Joe Rogan feels about a big fucking chimpanzee because he's really excited about this. Not just that. It's not chimpanzee, Matt. It's chimpanzee. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where he got that pronunciation from. Like, uh, the reason I play that is just to illustrate that people talk about how Joe's gotten worse and he has uh, in the pandemic. But this is where he comes from. That's him being aggressive as kind of a bit. But what he's expressing there is clearly what he believes, right? We seen it last episode that we did that he regards himself as being really well informed on things because he he does a couple of Google searches and Mm. he keeps things on this folder on his phone. And this is an example of how upset he is about people referencing credentials how strongly felt he takes his conclusions and also the aggressive conspiratorial tone to it. Like he's yeah. he's not just somebody asking questions. He reaches yeah. his conclusion and then he belittles and aggressively belittles anyone that disagrees with him. No, it's a good illustration. I mean, this is the same guy who believed that moon landing hoaxes and so on, and they were not isolated incidents. Like you say, it betrays that his epistemics are broken. He really does believe that he reads a couple of articles and then has cast iron certainty. His mind is made up and he was triggered, badly triggered by somebody who clearly does know what they're talking about, a PhD in primatology, who just wanted to set him straight, wasn't interested. They really, no. like it really could tell it was more than just aggressive call-in bantery slash misogyny. <laughs> it was yeah, that, that he that he was extremely sensitive and upset by somebody telling him that he might not be a hundred percent right about this thing that he read on the internet. Yeah, and that's how he was with the moonland. And like you say, that's the tone that he took when he engaged with people. His tone is not like that anymore, but his epistemics are, and his sense of personal like I don't know, just that he is not this guy that doesn't have a high opinion of himself like that does not what that sounds like so this is a selected clip that obviously people played to highlight that he's a bit of a shit and you you can find comparable examples of him making reasonable points but it's the continuity of this kind of reasoning from this clip from you know over 10 years ago to the present that's what i wanted to illustrate because joe is a secondary character in the clips that we're going to cover, but he, but he is the platform. Yeah, Joe was yeah. the one searching Ex- these people out and promoting them. Yeah, a lot of the pushback we get in criticizing Joe is that the position is put that he is a reasonable guy, an open-minded guy, an everyday kind of guy who has been misled, unfortunately, by 
bad luck in having the wrong guests on or something like that. No, he, he chooses the guests. He sets the agenda and he's just not good at figuring out what's true and what isn't. And yeah, unfortunately, he's got a great, huge platform to spread that. Yeah. All right. So now I, about Malone. So uh, Matt, you mentioned his credentials and whether they're disputed or not, but let's, let's listen to just the short part of Malone describing his own credentials. Completed a fellowship at Harvard University Medical School in, uh, um, global, as a global clinical scholar to round out my CV. And I've uh, run you know, over 100 clinical trials, um, mostly in the vaccine space, but also in drug repurposing. I've been involved in every major outbreak since AIDS. Uh, this is kind of what I do. Um, I've won literally billions of dollars in federal grants and contracts. I'm often brought in by NIH to serve as a study section chair for awarding, you know, 80 to $120 million contracts in vaccines and biodefense. I've spent countless hours at the CDC at the ACIP, ACIP meetings. Um, I have multiple friends at the CDC. I work closely with Defense Threat Reduction Agency, which is a, and it's one of my favorite uh, clients, um, partners, teaming partners. And I work with the Chem Biodefense Group. There's other branches. Um, including the other, this is not the branch that funded the Wuhan labs. That's another branch of DITRA. And he's not finished there, Matt. He, mm -hmm. he will go on. And before we discuss some of that, specifically about the vaccines and his position in that. Whether you're in the camp that says, I'm a liar and I didn't invent this technology despite the patents, and there's a whole cohort of that, no one can debate that dispute that I played a major role in the creation of this tech and virtually all other voices that have that background have conflicts of interest, financial conflicts of interest. I think I'm the only one that doesn't. I'm not getting any money out of this. So I think that it starts to touch on some fundamental constitutional principles about rights of free speech. I expect that's kind of where you're going on that. Mm. Yeah. So his significant role in developing mRNA vaccines is disputed. And I've seen some pretty good disputation of that. It seems like a fair assessment would be that he made a, a small, not negligible, but somewhat marginal contribution to their development a long time ago. Many of those patents he mentions are, patents are complicated. They're, they're put in by companies and he might be mentioned or something like that, right? I know. I think he does also own some patents, like primarily, but a bunch of them, like the fact is he's getting no money because this is something that people do in a bunch of spaces related to biotechnology and, and science where they try to patent things speculatively. Yeah. And then because the patents themselves are basically vague and, and technical, yeah. they when they are then tried to be applied to technologies and they are assessed by people who know the people say, no, this is like a patent for it's either too broad or it doesn't relate to the later technology closely enough. So yeah. Malone's yeah. patents aren't worth the paper no. they're printed on, it no, seems. That's right. The, the fact that he's not making money off them is at least partially reflects 
that the technology that they cover isn't actually used. It was a bit of a dead end. And that's what, as I said, that's what people do. Patents are a commercial maneuver more than anything else. There's a nice graphic that Dan Wilson, the debunk the funk host made where I, I think it's a diagram showing the timeline of the mRNA vaccines developments, lipid nanoparticles and mRNA technologies like these two parts that were necessary to be developed. And it shows a timeline from 1961 to 2020, right? Mm. And there's maybe about 20 or 30 publications and developments highlighted on the timeline. And Malone is involved with one of them. So the interesting thing about this is not litigating precisely how significant his individual research contribution was, but what's obvious is that he's exaggerating it a great deal, I think. A a little factoid you mentioned to me, Chris, is that his wife was actually banned from Wikipedia for aggressive editing of his Wikipedia page in order to magnify and exaggerate his track record, which again, is not really behavior you tend to see with people that are genuine Nobel Prize winners and so on. There's a part of this where it actually comes towards the end where he's basically saying that if he doesn't want to be involved with this, it's not about credit or that kind of thing. So let let me play the clip. And um, they're taking our licenses and uh, license to practice medicine because we are speaking about these matters. And you can label me however you want to label me. I don't care. I've done what I've done in my career. I'm at a stage at 62 years old. I've got a farm. It's almost paid off. I raise horses. I love my wife. You know, I've been married a long time. My kids are both married. I got grandkids. You know, I don't need this. Um, I'm, there's this claim, I'm doing all this because I seek attention. Trust me, this is not a fun thing to be doing. So, like you said, Matt, (laughs) this implies that he doesn't really care about credit. It's just about the truth. This is what is motivating him. But one, it's completely undermined by his constant presentation of himself as the key inventor of mRNA. He does this in multiple appearances. And the way that he's introduced on the Rogan description is the inventor of the nine original mRNA vaccine patterns, right? Mm. And and so on. He's presented as the key linchpin. And the, the point you know, which is really important, is like when I saw Malone appear on Brett Weinstein's podcast, I actually looked up on Wikipedia, like, is he? And I saw him in the description of mRNA vaccines. And I was like, oh, so, you know, that's a, that's the first like kind of bullshit chat that you would yeah. do. Yeah. Little did I know that <laughs> the reason he was prominently mentioned there was because his wife had been in editing the article in order to assign him a core role. And she did this repeatedly and then was eventually removed, banned from editing on Wikipedia. And Malone presented this as a conspiracy because he was like, she she is a long-term editor, so they're silencing her. And it's like, no, you, you can't do that. Your close family cannot assign you as the sole inventor. This is like a conflict of interest that should be obvious to a child, but apparently not. So Chris, one of the telltale red flags that we note on the garometer a lot of the time is this self-aggrandized history. 
portrayal of their own claims to greatness and a tale of not receiving as much credit as is deserved. We've seen this before with other gurus and it was interesting to see really cardinal example of it here. So there's a consistent presentation of them as being these heroic figures that have been battling for the patient's rights or, you know, the sea of people and, and, and so on. And like, they all have this story, like self-aggrandizing story about why it may look like some negative things happen, like Malone leaving research and becoming involved with industry or why he might have been consistently moving between projects, which according to various reports from people in the project are assigned to, you know, irreconcilable differences and uh, problems with the working environment. The consistent factor is Malone moving between these projects. But look at the way he editorializes his departure from academia. And that's my kind of transition from being an academic to focusing on actually making things that work in people. And uh, the big epiphany there was that the world is full of these academic thought leaders that publish in big journals and stuff. But that doesn't really lead to products. And I really wanted to make products that would help people. And so since then, for the last, I guess it's about 20 years, I've been focused on actually doing stuff, regulatory affairs, clinical development, getting the necessary training, etc., You can get a little bit more insight into the man by looking at his history since COVID, the sorts of things he's been involved in. As you mentioned, he was there with Steve Kirsch in that episode we covered on the Dark Horse. He proposed to Frontiers in Pharmacology a special issue on methods of treatment for COVID-19, which eventually involved a lot of those papers getting rejected and a bit of controversy. Again, Pierre Corey submitted one there on the use of ivermectin. Then, you know, resigned in protest, that is Malone did from that project. So the, the controversies, he's been involved in skepticism and emphasis of the risk of the COVID-19 vaccines, a lot of concerns about spike proteins and things like that. Very much an advocate for these medications like ivermectin, which we have talked about before, pretty much demonstrated to be unfounded now. And like, as well as that, he's increasingly seen to be doing these media appearances with, like he's been on Fox News with Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity. He's been on InfoWars and been on Alex Jones's Jones's podcast or network thing. (laughs) (laughs) And Steve Bannon's war room room thing. He's beloved now by the conspiratorial left and right. Jimmy Dore was waxing lyrical about him as well. And I think the credulousness with which his claims are taken is really one of these signs that you you should be more critical about the claims that people don't make because it isn't that he doesn't have real credentials. It isn't that he hasn't been involved in these projects. And that's a first thing that's a bullshit test check. You would want to look, does he have publications? Is he associated with the area of medicine that he's talking about? And he passes those by and large. And so it's understandable that people might initially be swayed by him. We'll show as we go on with these clips that like the stuff we've played so far, it could be him entirely legitimately just describing his background and achievements and kind of explaining why it's wrong that someone like him would be censored. But 
as we'll go on, we'll see that's not all he's doing. There are warning signs that are apparent. And one warning sign that's consistent across most of the gurus we cover is this belief that they have not been paid enough attention to, that they have revolutionary theories or some new approach, which has not been given appropriate recognition. And if you see that, that should be a warning sign. Yeah. Since we're talking about his track record, it's a good time to talk about being careful about the way in which one accepts credentials, right? Because as you said, Robert Malone has had a long and genuine research career. If you look at Google Scholar, he's got a lot of papers, a lot of citations. But remember that there are hundreds of thousands of researchers in this field and associated fields. And just by the law of large numbers, you can definitely expect that a certain percentage of people with a similar kind of track record may not necessarily be having good takes. I'm just looking at his track record now. It is a little bit interesting. This is a, just a small thing. I don't mean there's a terrible dig, but it, it ranks the, the publications by citations, right? And mm -hmm. the top nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine publications is most cited ones for Robert Malone is he's not first author or usually even second or third or whatever author on them. If he was the inventor of the mRNA vaccine, that's a really big deal. You would expect those papers with him as the inventor, first author, being front and center and being amongst those most cited papers. So anyway, just a small thing. But the, the main point I wanted to make is be careful, the credentials of individual scholars, because there are odd people in academia. They could be scientists, they could be ex-scientists, retired scientists. There's lots of Nobel laureates who have come out with extremely strange ideas. So the important thing is to pay attention to the consensus, because the people with outlandish views will self-select into avenues like the Dark Horse podcast. It's like this grand filtering mechanism because the, there is a large segment of the population that wants to hear the heterodox, contrarian, anti-institutional message. I will say as well, Matt, that there's a contrast here. And this is why you have to take these things as heuristics, but not. you're definitely right that like an individual willing to go on Infowars, that's a warning sign. It isn't to say everyone that is going on Infowars or... If you just look at guest lists, there will be no legitimate researchers on it. Not true. Some people make bad choices, mm. right? But that's a warning sign. A claim to be this persecuted inventor that is not recognized by the relevant research communities. That's a warning sign, right? Yeah. Now, Peter McCulloch, by comparison to Robert Malone, does have a lot of publications. He's got 63,730 citations, according to Google Scholar. His most cited paper is 5,128, right? Mm. These are influential. And he is first author on a, a bunch of publications. And now most of these highly cited ones are from 20 odd years ago, but it's a legitimate career. So that means he's somebody with expertise. It doesn't mean he's somebody that has been recognized as an expert on COVID. That's the important thing here because yeah. there's lots of people who achieve their status and expertise in a given field and then go on to be outlandish maniacs about other things. Like Luc Montagnier is a famous example. It's so common that there is a thing called Nobel disease, right? Where people who get Nobel prizes after they get it, come out to endorse some pseudoscientific technology or alternative medicine. This happens all the time and people are fallible. 
Nobel Prize winning author says that homeopathy is real. That's true. That's what Luke Montagnier argued. But it doesn't mean that the evidence for homeopathy is any stronger. It just means that a Nobel Prize winner who did good work previously has yep. bought into something silly. That's right. Yeah, it's important to emphasize that point that Peter McCulloch is a cardiologist, internal medicine specialist, and that's where his reputation derives from. And yes, it is medicine, but medicine is a very, very broad field and it's not virology. And I really want to reiterate the point too, that even if just 1% of researchers 10% of the time come out with an outlandish view, then those views will get platformed hugely because there's a market for them. So they will tend to rise to the top. It's sticking to the point about brags and outlandish claims being warning signs. Here is another example from Robert Malone, not bragging. It's an example of like a kind of full modesty. I actually said to the nurse when I took the first jab, um, I bragged a little bit. I usually don't. Um, I'm usually, you know, keep it on the down low. Um, I don't like to wear it on my shoulder. But um, I did say, you know, I, I invented this tech. She's like, oh, that's really cool. Can I take a selfie? Um, <laughs> um, but did she aspirate before she uh, shot it into you? I have. Uh, that whole aspiration thing. Uh, yeah, I'm sure she did. Yeah? Yeah, she's a well-trained nurse. Okay, so Matt, that was him not bragging, right? He rarely mentions that he's the inventor of these technologies. And, and he doesn't like to bring it up, right? But and it, you might have heard that point about Joe Rogan and aspiration. This is like one of his hobby horses where he thinks that people are not tapping, you know, the needles before they inject. And he was told by a doctor that this is wrong. It isn't a big issue with these particular, the way that these vaccines are administered. But he, he still, this is a good example, right? It doesn't matter. He heard the doctor outline to him why that is not an issue here, but he's still sure it is, right? <laughs> yep. So that was one thing, right? Malone reluctantly mentioning that he was the inventor. So just, just another couple of examples, Matt, because it isn't just his role in the mRNA vaccines that relate to the, this important role that he has in developing protocols or in finding things out before other people. So here we go. This is him making another discovery. And um, the other part of, of Rick's story that kind of doesn't make sense, that there was no data on efficacy is that um, I was the guy that first acquired, because I had Chinese connections, the Chinese protocol for treating this virus. I got it in late February, and I sent it in to my buddies at the CIA and at the ASPR, at the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response. So the government had those documents when Rick Bright made those determinations. So the assertion that there was no data on hydroxychloroquine at the time when this decision was made is just patently false. So... He claims he got the protocols from China before anyone else sent them to the CIA and it was ignored. And he has a very cartoonish view about, like, even if that was true, I'm skeptical of that, but even if it was true, the notion that he sends in the document, their contact at the CIA, and then they have it. Like everyone in the institution mm. knows about it. Mm. It's cartoonish, right? It's a thing we've seen with other gurus too, these allusions to being in circles of power. And having oh, yeah. these uh, private conversations <laughs> happening. High, high level conversations. So listen to this. 
Um, I've got many friends in the intelligence community. So I'm, I'm kind of a pretty deep insider in terms of the government. I know Tony Fauci personally. I've dealt with him my whole career. Uh, um, and, then, and then we had this particular outbreak. And um, I, I was uh, tip of the spear on bringing the Ebola vaccine forward that we now call the Merck Ebola vaccine. I, I'm the one that got Merck involved. <laughs> that's that's a different vaccine that he's you know uh, claiming tip of the spear of jog my memory chris my vague memory is that is again disputed it's not there's no evidence for it like so they <laughs> debunked the funk guy looked into it and couldn't find what he's referencing and he was saying you know maybe there's some connection but this sounds already like just an inflated claim and there's more matt there's more and that's not all so invented mRNA, tip of the spear with the Merck vaccine, and now... Um, to that point, with, with drug repurposing. Um, so uh, I'm the one that originally discovered famotidine as an agent um, because I was self-treating myself after I got infected with agents that we'd ad- identified through the computer modeling. So this is this is something else, and this one actually might be applicable because I I think this is him a thing which he is championing, which is not widely endorsed. I don't know, but you know the point is to rack up how many things that you're claiming to have been the inventor and the person at the front of, and it's getting long. On the Rogan show, Matt, he he even goes so far to announce a new thing, which he's just releasing information about on the Rogan podcast where most medical information is, you know, important things are announced. So just to, on this tangent, since I've said it, um, I've got some good news to announce. Um, First time here. Uh, Today, we believe we should have the first patient enrolled in our clinical trials of the combination of famotidine and celecoxib for treating SARS-CoV-2. This is uh, trials being run by the company Lidos, which is one of my clients, that I've helped design. It's based on my discoveries. They're funded by Defense Threat Reduction Agency. So this is another drug combination. Now, I work with all these folks like Peter and Pierre um, that I know you know. Peter McCullough, yeah. Pierre Corey. Uh, but I haven't pushed this drug combination. I just felt it was inappropriate until we got the trials running. Um, but they're now open. And we passed through the FDA screening process. By the way, we tried to get, we had data showing that adding ivermectin further improved the combination. But the FDA created such enormous roadblocks to us doing an ivermectin arm that we had to drop it. And by we, what I'm saying is the FDA created so much grief that the DOD decided the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. And they just dropped that arm. Mm. Again, everything falls into the huge, if true, kind of category, doesn't it? But also, he didn't feel ready to promote his drug cocktail protocol until a trial had started, not finished. They complain about vaccines being promoted on the basis of like their trials. But their trials are huge. These are massive trials and now being treated in billions of people worldwide. And Malone, I don't doubt that there's some clinical trial underway, but it sounds a lot like drug cocktail trials seem to be this new cashing in thing where 
all the kind of fringe theorists have their own protocol and combination of drugs that they're trying to present as the alternative, right? And it always has hypermectin and hydroxychloroquine basically in there, but maybe they're not directly in the trial and stuff. Yeah. And they might get through, but it, I would really be curious, is this a pre-registered study, high-powered, with only measuring very clear outcomes and those kind of things? I'd be curious. As debunked the funk explained, especially early during the pandemic, they were throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall to see what stuck. So there's nothing um, unusual about that. Pretty much anything that might conceivably have an effect, they're giving it a go. But it seems like Malone is still fully committed to these alternative treatments, despite the evidence for them being pretty slim. Just the leap to Peter McCulloch to give a comparable example. Listen to him describing his research and protocols. So at the time we submitted our paper, Joe, there was about 4,000 papers in the peer-reviewed literature on COVID-19. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, check that. There was 55,000 papers in the peer-reviewed literature on COVID-19 and about 4,000 that could have related to certain drugs, but not a single one put the concepts together on how to treat patients. Not a single one, Matt. Mm. 4,000 papers until Peter published his protocol. It's the same story and the same tendency towards claims that they are the people that would have been invited, right? It's, a, it's the same as the Weinsteins, that they believe that they, they are the ones that should be at the forefront, that should be respected. And because they are generally not being requested to lead the vaccine efforts or whatever, that something's up. So Peter McCulloch makes this explicit. You know, if it was about COVID, I would say that the world would have adopted something when I presented uh, to the American people and the Senate testimony in November of 2020. I told America, listen, there's four pillars to pandemic response. We should have always seen teams of doctors in Washington. I would have went if they called me. Matter of fact, I, I emailed them. They know who I am. I, we would have seen teams of doctors in Washington working on four pillars. He, he emailed them. <laughs> he emailed them to volunteer. Yeah, it reminds me of somebody. Somebody who also talked about <laughs> being willing to he be flown, flown yeah, being willing to fly to Washington to give special advice. It's yeah, it's quite, it must and be quite, it must be quite frustrating when you don't get the call when the helicopter no, doesn't Biden land on you. Interested? <laughs> he's not returning your calls. This is another parallel with McCulloch. So he's not claiming to be the inventor of the mRNA technology, but he is claiming to have developed this early treatment protocol. He was a hydroxychloroquine guy. And listen to this, the level of personal grievance that might be confounding some of his judgments. I published an op-ed in August of 2020 in The Hill, a Republican journal uh, for you know Washington people and others uh, in those circles. And the title of the op-ed was The Great Gamble of the COVID-19 vaccine development program. And what I saw 
is I saw a total shift on everything for the vaccines. Do you know major clinical trials with hydroxychloroquine were dropped, ivermectin, things were dropped. Uh, we, we had uh, programs for favipiravir. The Canadians had a big thrust for favipiravir dropped. I was the principal investigator overall for the Ramachaban program. That was a Japanese product. It was an anticoagulant, antihistamine. It looked very promising. We had great preliminary data. We had Bayer that was going to give us uh, all the doses we needed to treat America. I was on calls between the NIH uh, and the um, FDA, back and forth, back and forth. I couldn't get any traction in the summer of 2020. It was obvious. In fact, I remember one of the Operation Warp Speed officers telling me, listen, sorry, we have everything organized for uh, the current program. Are you picking up a bit of a sour grapes vibe? There. I I don't know. There's there's you know something about these guys, right? Like they breed grievance grievance map. This is mm. why we have grievance mongering on the gerometer, mm. and they're five, right? They're both five. They're up at the top of our score. So look, this is one thing you've got a warning <laughs> sign. Grievance mongering has appeared. Sometimes people have legitimate grievances. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes not, especially when they have an inflated idea of themselves. That can sometimes lead to it. And, and Matt, I, I know we've gotten on the McCulloch thread here, but the impact that he's claiming his treatment protocol would have had is not slight. It, this is not a minor claim that it could have had an impact. It could have held things if people had considered the approach better. What could have happened is... In your opinion... If your protocol had been established and distributed worldwide, if people had recognized that this is a way to deal with early treatment, you think that the overall number of COVID deaths would have been significantly reduced? I testified in the U.S. Senate, November 19, 2020. I told Americans under oath that 50% of the lives at that time could have been saved. We were at about 250,000 deaths based on what I knew. I then testified on March 10th, 2021 in the Texas Senate, sworn testimony. I upped that to 85% of the deaths could have been avoided. Cassandra complex, Chris? Is that, is that <laughs> really? <laughs> What's up, Matt? Please, go on. <laughs> well, it certainly does for the pandemic. Obviously, COVID has presented a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because it, it is a genuine crisis. But at the same time, these extremely strong claims about them having the secret that is not getting recognized, not getting traction, not getting the support that it so richly deserves, people aren't listening to them about their particular treatment protocols or whatever that went by the wayside and didn't get the support they wanted. It's very much in the ballpark of Cassandra. Well, Matt, you know, 85% of deaths, that's quite low, really, isn't it? I mean, that's that's only, there's still 15% left to go. Actually, Peter mentions, might have been an underestimate. And so this is why you believe that at least 50% of those people, could that those deaths could have been prevented? That was in November of 2020, under sworn testimony. That number's easily... 85% now, maybe it's 90% now if we got what you got. If you got the sequence multidrug treatment, monoclonal antibodies, you called it the kitchen sink, so do I. Bottom line is it may be refined over time. Notice there the, the little mention that Rogan took basically what McCulloch would have recommended. The monoclonal antibodies and so on. Our podcast isn't about the medical technicalities, but I think what we are saying is that these 
characters are not entirely disinterested. Malone is more than just a retired guy who's running a horse farm. They have alternative treatments, alternative approaches that they have a stake in, a reputational, perhaps a, a commercial one, but strongly invested in these alternatives. That's worth noting. Another reason that I think that it's worth highlighting this sense of grievance is that it's attached to a disparaging of opponents as not just wrong, but as essentially people that don't care about patients or that kind of thing. So I, I realize we're veering on the McCulloch territory here, but he's pretty explicit about what other doctors are worried about. I was on one with the National Institutes of Health and I asked a question. I said, when are we going to start to treat the problem? People are getting sick out there. They're starting to be hospitalized. Some are dying. When are we going to start to treat treat patients? It's too late for the hospitals. Too late to treat people. It's obvious they're dying in the hospital. We must start early. And you could basically hear a pin drop on these calls. No one had an idea about treating COVID nineteen at home. Was was there no thought about it? Was there no discussion, or was it just not a point of focus? Like, what was the problem there? I think it was a grip of fear. Doctors for the first time in their lives felt like they could get the disease themselves if they actually saw and examined these patients. Uh, all the discussion was on personal protective equipment, hand sanitizer, uh, negative airflow rooms. It was all about protecting the healthcare workers. So that my, I, I find that distasteful because the claim there is that like all the other doctors, all these people, they were just worried about self-preservation. And that's such bullshit from what I've seen about the vast majority of medical professionals. They've been heroic mm. in the face of the pandemic and risking infection. Lots of them have got infected. And a, lot of them, a lot of them have died as a result of having a very high viral load acquired in the course of treating patients, right? There's the fact that they're presented as cowards, like that they were just, they weren't thinking about treatment and they... They, they want to send people home because they're scared that they can get affected. And like, it shouldn't ring true to anybody who knows people that work in the medical profession. I'm not saying they're all angels. I'm mm. saying that that characterization is incredibly self-serving and seems very unlikely. One of the repeated things that we see, we saw on the Dark Horse podcast and now we're seeing again. Joe Rogan's podcast is there is little hesitation in claiming the worst of motives by the medical establishment and alleging a conspiracy or having motives that are based around profit or social control. So I'm sure you've got a lot of clips that illustrate that. Oh, point. yeah. And we're, we're going to switch to Malone, back to Malone in a minute. But this tag team, they were wonderful. They could be the WWE champions of COVID disinformation. And we'll see that they're connected later uh, when we look about these disinformation networks that they cite of all the people they start citing and including each other. So you heard at the end of that clip, like Rogan's idea of pushback, right? Or Rogan's idea of a question, which is like, were none of the doctors worried about this? Right. And that's the kind of thing that people say, Rogan asks, he's pushing back. And I'm going to give another example, Matt, of the kind of pushback that you get when you have Joe Rogan interviewing these figures. Um, are, there, are there people that are in agreement or disagreement with you that you, like disagreement in particular, that you respect and you, you, you see some merit in what they're saying? Well, the disagreement would be don't treat patients. That's it. Think about it. 
Well, when I published the paper in the American Journal of Medicine, so I was the first person in the world to put a stake in the ground saying that we can treat COVID-19 at home and prevent hospitalization. Has anyone said to you, don't treat patients? I mean, so... The letters of the editor came in, Joe. It's kind of easy to not really process that properly because it's, it's so extreme that it's delivered in the way that it I is. Saw, I saw your surprise <laughs> the register <laughs> on your face about what he actually claimed. So what did he just claim that? He claimed that other researchers, doctors aren't interested in treating patients. Yes. <laughs> that's that's correct. He he claimed that only he and presumably his friends, hopefully he's not the only doctor, but he and later McCulloch explains there's five hundred dollar doctors that agree oh, with him. Okay. So that that's lucky. But yeah, that the other the opposition to his view is don't treat them. Don't do anything. That's the reasonable version. Like the question was what reasonable people that you respect, what's what's the pushback that you've got? Well, the only one is don't treat them. Yeah, no, Matt. Let's get back to our our other friend Robert, Mister Malone. So maybe he's better. Maybe he can do a better statement of what people are presenting, or he he's not going to present those who would disagree with his analysis as like cold blooded, self interested people out to defraud the public. I, I can tell you that the hospitals receive a bonus from the government. I think it's like 3000 bucks if someone is hospitalized and able to be declared COVID positive. They also receive a bonus. I think the total is something like 30000 in incentive if somebody gets put on the vent. Then they get a bonus if somebody is declared dead with COVID. COVID. Okay. So they have an incentive at the front end to declare somebody COVID, a COVID case. The CDC made a determination that they, they were going to make a core assumption if PCR positive and you die, that is death due to COVID. So this is obviously referencing one of the very prominent types of misinformation that's been floating around, which is that these deaths from COVID have been wildly overestimated because they, these people have died with COVID, Chris, not of COVID. Yeah, with COVID. So Yeah. yeah. It's all, and it's not just that, Matt. It's not just that. So that's one thing, that there are comorbidities which aren't being considered, but it, it's more extreme than that. And so the, the extreme example, just to, to show the absurdity, um, if the patient comes in with a bullet hole to the head um, and they do a nose swab and they come up PCR positive, they're determined to have died from COVID when in fact they died though? from lead poisoning. That's real? Yeah. So they've really done that with gunshot victims, car I don't know about yeah, victims. Yeah, for, for sure, trauma and other things. I've seen that said, but I've always thought that's ridiculous. There's no way a hospital it's, would do it's that. Not, it's, not the, it's not a question of what hospital would do. It's a question of med codes. So the code is set that if you swab that person and you are, you're supposed to swab them. And, and you get a positive signal. And the are you person, obligated to swab them, no matter who they are, if they come in with an injury? I 
believe it's the common practice. I don't know whether the, whether there would be an obligation that would be a hospital by hospital policy statement. So that it really is true that if someone has a gunshot wound and they're dying of that gunshot wound and you check them for COVID and if they're COVID positive and they die, they marked it off as a COVID death. That is a that is by definition from the CDC. If that makes your eyebrow raise, then I think you're on the right track. And this is covered in the Debunk the Funk episode on Malone, where he basically goes through what the criteria is, and that's completely false. It's lies, Matt. It's a lie. This constant impugning of the medical system, of just having the worst motives, classifying people in order to cash in on $3,000 checks, the theme you see consistently from all of them There is no way to listen to this material without taking from it that the entire medical and scientific system is entirely corrupt, doesn't care about patients, doesn't care about curing them, is interested in checking boxes and collecting paychecks. And there's a constant fake presentation of a hesitation to... Be a whistleblower. Yeah, or to avoid saying something too extreme. So let me play a clip that wraps up this conspiracy in a bowl and also sh- illustrates that tendency. You, re- you think that the reason why he was targeted because he was directly costing the hospital money because people weren't going in? I'm not COVID? saying... I, I'm saying that the observation is that early treatment keeps people out of the hospital and that hospitals have financial incentives, including death incentives, financial incentives. To discourage incentives. early treatment. Death incentives, Matt, to stop... Early treatment. And there are, the healthcare system in the US is kind of horrific, right? The way that the privatization works that like, yes, hospitals get money for doing treatments and that kind of stuff. But these claims about it all being the, the whole pandemic is basically just based on these hospitals inflating numbers. It's nonsense yeah. because in countries that have public health systems where that isn't the case, You see the same things. Yeah. And the implication from what they're saying is that the hospitals want to get you in, diagnose you with COVID and for you to die. That is the clear implication. And I don't think you have to read into things in any sense to hear it. Like, I mean, listen. They would be doing that because they're making, they're making. So again, I don't want to make accusations. I'm observing facts. Right. I'm observing facts, Matt. They're making buck. That's all. After talking about death incentives. These aren't even the most extreme comments yet. We'll get into more. But your warning lights, as a listener who doesn't know the medicine, who doesn't know the evidence, they should be going off because these claims are extreme. They strain credulity. And they're tied in with all this other things that we've talked about, grievance mongering, self-aggrandizement. And just to make a, a neat parallel between McCulloch and Malone, listen to Malone talking about the impact of not rolling out hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin on the pandemic. So it's not just ivermectin, it's hydroxychloroquine. And just to put a, a marker on that... There's good modeling studies that probably half a million excess deaths have happened in the United States through the intentional blockade of early treatment by the U.S. government. That half is a, a million. Half a million. That is a well-documented number. Okay? And it's a combination of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Now, when you ask me why, you're asking me to get into somebody's head. What I can say as a scientist is what I observe. 
um, the behaviors, the actions, the correspondence, these bizarre things like, uh, you know, don't you know it's a horse drug, y'all, right, which is amazingly yeah. pejorative. I live in Virginia, okay? I can tell you the people around me, I live in a rural county and I raise horses. Um, that was deeply offensive um, to use that language in that way. Um, but there's clearly been an intentional push. I mean, that claim is worth repeating explicitly. There's been an intentional push by the American government to block ivermectin and hydro hydroxychloroquine. 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 Even though they know it works and would have prevented uh, half a million deaths. And he doesn't. we don't know why. Why would they do such a thing? But they're they're very upset about the forced medicine thing, right? And they're oh, yeah. they're yeah. they're worried about like why Merck is saying that its medication isn't safe, and this is a conspiracy. So, what is the motivation? You're right. What this none of this makes sense. And the only thing, you know, this is a this is a journalist problem, um, and you know the classic guidance is follow the money. Yeah, and um, so it it. It is bizarre that Merck would come out with these explicit statements about the safety of ivermectin. Both ivermectin and hydroxy are on the WHO list of essential medicines. They have been administered for millions and millions of doses. They're among the safest medicines we know when administered within this acceptable window, pharmaceutical window. Um, they, the ivermectin is even safer than hydroxy. So Merck coming out out of the blue and saying ivermectin isn't safe is really inexplicable. And like, no, I read what Merck said. They didn't say their medication is unsafe. They said it's not safe to be used for COVID in the concentrations that people are using or that we don't have safety data yeah. on that. Yeah, I know. It should be I, I, obvious. <laughs> it should be obvious, but it's it's just another one of those like things where you're just like, I've read that. It doesn't say what they're claiming. And no. I'm not a medical doctor and I can identify that. So Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, the untruths appear when there's an uncomfortable fact that needs to be obfuscated. And you know, the criticisms of Ivermectin. Yes, it's a little bit mean to say, oh, you know, people are taking apple-flavored horse dewormer, you, you know, you silly sods or whatever. Yes, that could be a bit mean, but that's not the point. Who cares? <laughs> that's a little bit mean. The point is, is that there's no evidence that it works. But they'll fixate on that or misrepresent the letter from Merck because these are, you know, uncomfortable, uncomfortable things that need to be distracted from. Yeah. And so there's there's that, and you got to hear in that clip as well. Again, the kind of fake hesitancy, right? This this claim. Oh, look, I'm a I'm a scientist. I'm just concerned about the numbers. I don't want to discuss motives and incentives and what. That's bullshit. So they funded this study. They did yeah. it themselves. It's a CDC study. And do you do you believe they did it with the intent of coming to the conclusion? You're asking me to apply intent, and I've had too much time with lawyers, <laughs> and I'm not going to do it. Good for you. <laughs> but, so either way, um, there's many, many, many studies that point to the fact that natural immunity is superior. You'll see throughout these clips, it's the same thing that Brett Weinstein and Eric 
Weinstein do, where they are clearly impugning nefarious motives to mm. the mm. conspiratorial targets. There is a pretense at great reticence. But I mean, that, sen- that, that description completely surrounding it completely contradicts that because there's a clear implication. And you've listened to McCulloch and Malone talk about how all other doctors are scared and they don't care. So where was the consideration of not wanting to impugn people's motives when they're doing that or when they're saying that doctors are swabbing people after they can see them dead from a gunshot wound? What Mm. kind of monsters are doing that, right? They're not doing that by accident. So, Matt, it goes on because we're talking there about early treatment. But in terms of the vaccines, Malone wants to make some more claims, right? With great hesitancy. But but let's see what he says. So, you know, my position all the way through this comes off of the platform of bioethics and the importance of informed consent. So my position is that people should have the freedom of choice, particularly for their children, um, and that in order to to Uh, appropriately choose to participate in a medical experiment, they have to be fully informed of the risks as well as the benefits. And so I've tried really hard to make sure that people have access to the information about those risks and potential benefits, the true unfiltered academic papers and raw data, et cetera. And the policy that's being implemented is one in which no discussion of the risks are allowed because by definition they will elicit vaccine hesitance so it can't be discussed but that's the fundamental background that's the backbone of informed consent so informed consent is not only not happening it's being actively blocked so malone in his own words has the best of motives informed by bioethics believing in informed consent and that people should have unfiltered access to the information they need to make an informed health decision in contrast the establishment is doing the filtering they're preventing the use of alternative treatments that would save so many lives and suppressing information that might contribute to hesitancy around vaccines for nefarious reasons, we must suppose. He's not quite explicit, is he? Yeah. And Joe Rogan is on this too. You aren't allowed to have a, a an informed discussion about side effects or anything. It's all prohibited. So let's hear him explain that. That makes sense. It does make sense. And it's unprecedented. <clears throat> I mean, I, I can't recall a time ever where people weren't able to discuss the side effects of medication, whether or not the studies are accurate, whether or not people should universally take these things, or whether it should be done on a person-by-person basis. This is a, it's a very strange time. And so when someone who's an expert like yourself has a dissenting opinion, and you see that dissenting opinion immediately silenced, or, si- or at least immediately criticized, and then these attempts at silencing, it, it, just, it just signifies how confusing and how troubled the times we're in are. So, Chris, for me, this is this weird dovetailing that's just increasingly been going on over the last year or so, which is free speech principles with these conspiracy theories and health misinformation. So, I mean, it's obviously not true that no one 
has looked into, published on, discussed potential risks from vaccines. In fact, as you know, the Johnson Johnson vaccine was withdrawn because very rare side effects were happening. There's a great deal of concern for this. There's always been this discussion. So that's not true. In the public space, of course, there's been endless discussion, not least on the Joe Rogan podcast or on various conservative outlets on, on various routes. So the, it is not suppressed. But the argument to me is quite frustrating because it doesn't matter how much evidence your claims lack. It doesn't matter how lurid and conspiratorial they are. Anybody pushing back on things, even when it crosses the boundary to blatant misinformation, that is treated as a suppression of free speech. And that, that really grinds my gears. There is discussion of all these things that they say there isn't. There's debates in the literature. There's, there's podcasts I listen to with experts discussing different opinions on treatments and va- not, not different opinions about whether vaccines are overall beneficial because the data is not ambiguous there. And, you know, Matt, you talked about them connecting these into larger conspiracies. And again, I think this relates to the conspiratorial worldview that Rogan inhabits and his susceptibility to right-wing disinformation. So I've got a couple of clips that relate to this. So let's move from COVID conspiracies, we'll come back to them, but to grander conspiracies. And you might hear echoes of James Lindsay in some of this as well. But... um there's two hills that are willing, I'm willing to die on. One is stopping the jabs in the children, and one is, you know, resisting the erosion of free speech, which is the fundamental principle on which our democracy and our society, civilized Western culture is built on. I like to say when I give rallies, do you remember back a couple of years ago when you felt sorry for the people in the People's Republic of China because their internet was filtered, they weren't allowed free speech, their government told them what to do and think, okay? Now, here we are, okay? And the next thing that we all feel sorry about is social credit system, okay? Wake up, folks. Wake up. It's coming. If we give in to this, we give in to vaccine passports and having an app on your phone that shows everything you're doing in terms of your medical history. And they've even offered people extra credit. Rogan was about to get started there. Maybe I shouldn't have cut him off. Before you respond, I'll let Rogan discuss a little bit more. Two years ago than it was two years before, it's ramping up exponentially in some sort of a strange way that's affecting society. And then the censorship aspect of it, which is kicked in. And as you said, that they're stepping in line with tech, doing it with the pharmaceutical companies, doing it with the government. They're all sort of on the same page when it comes to the messaging. Okay. And I don't know how we ever pull out of this mess. I mean, I think we are at a 45-degree downward angle headed into a mountain. I really do. It's it's so strange to me that no one's up in arms about this other than a few people that have been censored, a few people that have these uh, opposing viewpoints that are you know deemed to be something that can't be discussed. Well, it's, it's Joe, it's even deeper than that, okay? Then there's the hunting of physicians. So I myself, 
you know, Peter McCullough is the textbook example of hunting physicians, right? Oh, we're mm. getting the Scott Adams, the conservatives will be hunted, Matt. <laughs> mm, yeah, those are good illustrative examples of how these anti-vax views are not unconnected to this broader conspiratorial worldview. I mean, we listed at the beginning some of the appearances that Robert Malone has been doing on Infowars and various right-wing outlets. And it's interesting to me because... I was just talking to my wife, actually, about someone we know who has kind of always been into the sort of hippie, make-your-own-cheese, rural community living, and they're undoubtedly an anti-vaxxer, and they're like the old-fashioned kind. And now we have the new kind of anti-vax thing, which is appealing to this right-wing segment. But it occurred to me that underlying both worldviews is something very similar, which is that the system, gesturing vaguely here, is corrupt, right? The, the mainstream is entirely corrupt and you need to have your own bespoke, customized health solutions, right? And it's this amazing horseshoe where at surface, they look politically at opposite ends of the spectrum, but you go a little bit deeper and they share this common element, which is anti-orthodoxy, anti the system. So again, ding, 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 ding. Chris, what's our garometer? Uh, say about this anti anti establishmentarianism. Right? That's, that's it's, the it's one. Common. But Ma, I want to say that we've heard Malone and Rogan express their concern. We've heard Peter McCulloch's being hunted. I think you're potentially compromised in this because where you live, Matt, it's already fallen. Other countries have been much more ruthless in their enforcement of uh, vaccinations, and it's kind of opened a lot of people's eyes as to what's possible. When you look at some of the European countries, the way Germany's handling it, um, even the way New Zealand's handling it, and Australia for sure, people are terrified when they're seeing these places that they thought of as being as free as the United States falling into this sort of uh, totalitarian regime situation where the government is telling the people what they must do and literally checking everyone for papers and people don't seem to think that this is a problem you just want me to rant about this again don't you hashtag Uh, australia has fallen look i'm just saying you live in a totalitarian state for sure according to joe (laughs) that's from the mcculloch episode by the way you may mm. have seen to like seamlessly fit in, but it's because it's the same. It's the whole <laughs> the same narrative that goes throughout both. Yeah. yeah. So have you have you fallen into totalitarian <sighs> this <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's an there's an element of truth there, I suppose, which in that in Australia the the government is definitely encouraging people strongly to get vaccines and that if you are unvaccinated and you want to keep your job as a teacher or working in a childcare thing or other kinds of often public service employee, especially where you or a hospital, say, where you're dealing with, with people or vulnerable people, then yes, you're going to have problems. There's slightly different things implemented by each state. That's the element of truth. The, it, the big picture, though, is that it's a complete lie. And also, Australia has only suffered 2,387 deaths so far from COVID during the entire pandemic in a population of, what, 25 million, something like that? Something's working. Maybe it's the vaccines, yeah? Maybe it's the vaccines. They portray Australia as a tyranny. And what they don't appreciate is that 
the government restrictions, like the government policy response, usually lags public opinion in terms of public opinion wanting stronger restrictions. Yes, there's a few people who go and protest, but if you look at the surveys, the actual polls, not surprisingly, the political stance pretty much exactly reflects the public one. So even now, as Omicron is spiking in Australia, and that was a result uh, of our deliberate policy to completely open up, as promised, after we got to those levels of vaccination, the kind of let it rip policy. Yep. So first of all, that's the first debunking, right? (laughs) It wasn't an endless incremental erosion of freedoms. No, it was temporary and it was wound back as promised. And after it was wound back, as expected, COVID is now rampaging through the community. Touch wood, things are still going relatively well despite all of those infections because as planned, as hoped, hospitalizations and so on while increasing are largely decoupled from infections. But at the moment, the public is doing a self-lockdown because people are concerned. People are avoiding restaurants. People are avoiding going into CBDs and mixing in large things. It's like people, (laughs) it's not the government, man. (laughs) Yeah, John knows that. And he knows that because it's basically, you're scared, Matt. You're all scared. One of the more disturbing things, the, the opposite of that is one of the more disturbing things about this pandemic is how people have just decided because they're scared and because they want a solution that the pharmaceutical companies have their best interests at heart and that they're not these machines that are designed to make money. And they they sell drugs and the drugs are often beneficial, but their main goal is to make money. So you forgot about that, Matt. That was your first Uh, mistake. Then, then... Your other problem is... That's what it is. And that's what it is. And it's a, it's a tribal formation. And it's people who don't have personal sovereignty and people who uh, <laughs> aren't confident with standing by their own thoughts and objectively analyzing things outside of <laughs> a, a, an ideology, outside of the tribe. Those people are very susceptible right now. And those are more common than not. He's got you uh, paying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Does he not ever, do they, none of them, Matt, did none of them think, is this a self-serving description I'm giving where everyone else is scared and terrified and they don't care about personal sovereignty. They're just the weak-willed infants who want to be told what to do. And they need people like me, the comedian podcaster with my folder on cooties to remind them what freedom is about and and not to fall into the Australian totalitarian regime that is terrorizing the world. Oh my God. I know we're a bunch of sheeple just, just terrified. I mean, people are a bit concerned about COVID, right? I think people can relax a little bit, but it's very natural. Of course, people are a little bit worried. It's a pandemic. That's how people react. They rush to the shops and they buy toilet paper and so on. But it doesn't mean we're all mere sheeple that have been tricked by the evil pharmaceutical companies to take vaccines that don't work and are dangerous. And they seem to have it both ways too, don't they, Chris? Because on one hand, COVID is nothing to worry about. It's not a big deal. You know, should just be cool with it. But at the same time, it's absolutely imperative. There's all these people dying, half a million deaths that could have been prevented if only they'd used our alternative treatments. It's weird sort of playing it at both ends like that. 
Yeah. And there's also, and I'm not the only one to have noticed this, but I will counter, Matt, that the person who I reliably see as being terrified and, and overly concerned about things is Joe and his friends. They see creeping authoritarianism everywhere. Originally, he was very panicked about the possibility that he might catch the virus and, you know, have a bad effect, even ignoring that the probability is very low of having a negative consequence. He's scared of vaccines. He thinks the vaccines are dangerous. That's mm. why he's not getting them, right? If they were no yeah. fear to it, he could just get it and he could just show people, I don't think these are valid, but I'm going to get it anyway. He's yeah. not. He's no. talking with people telling him that these are killing children. They're responsible for thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of deaths. And he's scared of them. Yeah. So, scared of the government, scared of COVID and scared of vaccines. Yeah. And they, it, it doesn't take much to notice that. But if we start vaccinating every six months, I think the spike protein never gets out of the body. It accumulates. Progressive accumulation of the spike protein is very worrisome for these progressive organ injury syndromes. So if we're doing it every six months, the, the spike protein will never really truly have a chance to get out of the body in these cases that you're talking about where it's still in the body for 15 months. 15 months is on the long side. Let's be charitable and say it lasts in the body a year. Mm. So the spike protein, Matt, the spike protein will be in the body for so long if we're mm. getting that was McCulloch. Yeah, so I, I recall hearing debunking of this, which I won't attempt to rehash, but it speaks to one of the standard tropes about vaccines or worries about them, which is that idea of impurity, that you're going to be contaminated by this nasty, icky material. It could be some nasty chemical like mercury, or it could be a spike protein or some other random thing. But it's it's always that your precious bodily essences <laughs> are getting contaminated. Yeah. And we don't need to, like you say, we can refer you to the other experts if you want to know about the relative proportions of the spike protein. And the general rule of thumb, which is kind of obvious, is that if you get an infection from COVID, you get much more spike protein throughout your body. <laughs> Not in the mRNA version where it doesn't have that ability to infect you. That's the whole freaking point of the <laughs> vaccine. So that's wrong. Let's stick with McCulloch for just one more point because this is how he characterizes that. And because the antibodies to the spike protein after the vaccine are so high compared to the, the respiratory infection, we now infer that in fact, one gets a much larger dose of the spike protein after vaccination than the respiratory illness. And in some people, they invariably can't handle the spike protein exposure to the human body. Who dies? Check that. Tell people. Check that. Check that clear. I mean, do you need us to say that that's not true? I mean, don't listen to us. We're not. No, go and check it. Go and check it. And you've heard him explicitly say that, right? We know you get more spike protein from vaccines than from Natural infection. Is yeah. that true? Is that Go true? Take. Yeah. And, 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 and the, if he's wrong about such an elementary claim that is extremely implausible, just on the face of it, you only need the, like a basic primary school Kasurgis Act level understanding of how vaccines work to suspect that is highly dubious. Go and check that. And if it doesn't check out, then maybe, maybe he could be wrong about everything else. 
<laughs> oh, let's let's stick with this for a minute. We'll come back to the the impact of the vaccines on natural immunity. But you made the point, and this is something I want to remind people of: that if you don't know everything there is to know about vaccines and viruses, that's entirely reasonable. You're not an expert. We are not experts, right? There's people who've dedicated their careers to this. It doesn't mean that all the public health officials, all the governments always get everything right. They don't. Things are always messy, especially when there's a global pandemic. There will be mistakes. There will be competing points of view. Mm. But you might know some things and you may hear them be contradicted with incredible confidence in these discussions. And that's another thing that should be a warning sign. That when you hear someone say something which you know to be false because you've got good reason, right? You've heard reliable sources repeatedly explain something. And then you hear something which flat out contradicts it. It's another one of those warning signs that should go up of like, wait, what? And I'm going to give an example that is specific to me. This was a warning sign when I was listening to the content. So it happens in both Malone and McCulloch's content. So I'll play them both. Here's Malone's version. Okay, that's my point. I got the original Chinese protocols. This is what they were using. And they were using it effectively? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, were they using ivermectin as well? No. No. Uh, but other countries have, like Japan and India and... Uttar Pradesh, as you know, has crushed COVID. Malone, at another point, endorses Japan. He yeah. did there, he didn't correct Joe, that Japan uses ivermectin. In Peter McCulloch, he says... Now, again, though, why do you think hydroxychloroquine was demonized? Why do you think that it was, especially so early on in Australia, it, it can't be universal competence across the board. So one of the things that's interesting about ivermectin is it's not demonized worldwide. It's distributed widely in other countries, and it's shown some effectiveness. Oh, absolutely. You know, ivermectin now is a first line in Japan. It's attributed to crushing the curves in Mexico. Uh, in Peru, absolutely crushed the curves in India. We've been in close communication with them. Uh, Ivermectin's an interesting uh, drug, and I know you've reviewed it uh, in depth on this show. Uh, so um, uh, I'll leave it to experts like Dr. Corey and others uh, uh, there. But you know, I use it every day in my practice. I have no problems with ivermectin. It's safe and effective. Uh, there's been a Nobel Prize awarded, uh, uh, you know, in 2015 for ivermectin. Uh, but hydroxychloroquine. I think worldwide is still the leading drug used to treat COVID-19 just because of its availability. There's so, so much there, Matt, but like yeah. the, the, the one I want to hide is the yep. Japan, right? Yep. The ivermectin is a frontline treatment in Japan. It is not. I live in Japan. No one here talks about ivermectin. It's appeared in a couple of news stories. That's it. And it's not recommended by the Japanese government as a treatment. Yep. It's not on their official list. And yep. Japanese people are not in mass following their own protocols. This is not the case. It's yep. vaccines. Vaccines are what is working in Japan. So this is the contribution I hope that we might be able to make with this episode, that the debunking work that people with domain expertise are doing is extraordinarily valuable and it's great. And the best thing you can do when that's available is just listen to that. On the other hand, if you're a naive lay person like us, you can still spot all of these red flags and make a note of them. Because even if you didn't know about Japan, even if you didn't know about Uttar Pradesh, let's say you didn't know those things, 
just think about the extraordinariness of the claim that there is hydroxychloroquine and or ivermectin getting used routinely all across the world in lots of different countries to great effect, saving heaps of lives, but for some reason, in places like the United States, they won't consider it. It's been banned. That is a huge claim. Like the, the, the world would have to be completely topsy-turvy. And this is where the conspiratorial worldview is a necessary requirement for you to accept these kinds of claims. And what they can do to somebody who is not thinking critically is draw you in. Because once you accept the purported fact, then you, your next thought is, well, why? Why would they be suppressing this thing? And then you start going down this rabbit hole to try to explain these extraordinary claims that you've accepted. You, but you need to stop and pay attention that these are extraordinary claims. Do not accept them. You know, check them. When it comes to Uttar Pradesh, right, which is another thing, recommend people look into it. Go and check reputable sources. We'll have links. But this is a thing which is a truth that is often cited. And it doesn't matter how many times it's debunked that the claims that it was all about ivermectin in that area, or even that the efficacy is as dramatic as they're all claiming. Even if you ignore that, they go in their very specific conspiracy theory. Robert Malone does. So listen here. Um, and uh, the virus is just ripping through there and causing all kinds of death and disease. And the decision was made out of desperation in that province to deploy early treatments as packages widely throughout the province. And it included a number of agents. The composition has not been formally disclosed. It was done in coordination with, United, with um, WHO. And whatever was in those packages um, was rumored to include ivermectin. Um, but there was a specific visit of Biden to Modi, and um, a decision was made in the Indian government not to disclose the contents of those packages that were being deployed in Uttar Pradesh. So you, you heard my, as well the weasel words there, right? It's rumored that ivermectin was there, and then mm. implying that it was a personal visit by Biden which stopped these details from being revealed. And just before, in case that wasn't clear enough, here's a short clip where he makes that even more clear. So they were visited by someone in the Biden administration? Right. No, there's a meeting between Joe Biden and, and um, Modi. And you and believe that the, out of that meeting, all they decided? I, know, I don't know what they said. I didn't, wasn't invited. All right. I know is that immediately afterwards, there was a decision not to disclose the contents of what was being deployed in Uttar Pradesh. It, it's so crazy to imagine that in the middle of a pandemic, there's one place, uh, uh, one area of India that's extremely successful in combating the virus, and they're not going to say how they did it. It is crazy, Joe. Yeah, it is crazy. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that in this province of India, the government is delivering secret, non-disclosed early treatment packages containing unknown ingredients, maybe ivermectin, maybe not. And it's that that's responsible for the lack of COVID cases. It couldn't have anything to do with the fact that it's a very poor place. It does not have access to the kinds of testing regimes, monitoring regimes that exist elsewhere. It couldn't 
merely simply be the fog of war that explains no. these things. In the episode with McCulloch, Rogan gets into the same kind of discussion about monoclonal antibodies. Despite the conversation he had with Jocko, he still is convinced that they're being suppressed for some reason. He, he tells the same story that he told Jocko about his friend having refused for being the wrong skin color. He keeps saying, we have enough of it. Why is it going on? And McCulloch indulges the conversation. But there is a point, Matt, where he remembers that bit where, you know, in our previous episode, we got where they realized, wait, pharmaceutical companies make money from monoclonal antibodies. Now, I want you to listen to this. I want the listeners to hear as well. Joe asked that question, which took him a long time to remember. And then how McCulloch responds to that. I promise you that as it goes on, there is not something that I'm leaving out, which later comes up. This is the answer. Because what's, what's confusing to people is that, well, if this is all some sort of a plot by the pharmaceutical companies to make exorbitant amounts of money, why aren't they trying to make exorbitant amounts of money off the monoclonal antibodies, which are also expensive? Yeah, I tell you, it's a great argument. We'll see, uh, you know, molipiravir, which is the Merck drug, which I think is going to be modestly effective. The, um, the registrational trials finally came in about a 30%. Uh, effect size, so a little less than hydroxy or ivermectin. Ivermectin as the oral drug probably has the best efficacy of the three. Uh, and I think molipiravir is going to be similar to pefipiravir. Um, we will have to see, but the point I'm making is that, listen, the monoclonal antibodies were before the vaccines. They're emergency use authorized. Yeah. They're more impressive results. It goes on, Matt. There was no answer. There was no explanation. He just starts talking about why monoclonal antibodies are better than vaccines. But there's an implication of what he's going to talk about will not answer that. And instead, he just reams off a bunch of probably claims that you might want to check. But it's using medical jargon and then switching to talking about something else. So when he was like, that's a great question. Yeah, but there wasn't an answer no, provided. There was not an answer provided. The thing about conspiratorial worldviews is they don't need to be particularly consistent for some reason. Like there isn't a good explanation of why they're lying about this treatment when they could be making money from more expensive treatments that are very effective. Seems like it would be easier and wouldn't require lying to the entire world, but it's it, yeah not really addressed. It is not, Matt. It is not. Let me go back and finish a point before we talk about the disinformation networks. But so a while back, we talked about Rogan and his fear of vaccines and in particular the spike protein and the, how he presents other people as like the weak will, fearful people. And I, just a short clip, my, I want to say, I think Joe Rogan has a real problem with obese people. Like he has mm. a visceral kind of disgusted feeling about them daring to correct him, right? We heard it mm. on the episode with him and it, it comes up repeatedly in both episodes with McCulloch and what, Malone. Does he, does he hate it as much as being corrected by a female PhD? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good example of where this kind of outrage might come from, that he thinks those people are doing something, they're taking risks, and they dare to judge him for it. So anyway, here's just one of many examples where he talks about it with McCulloch. So the immunocompromised people worry about them the most, but the bottom line is they get the least benefit of the vaccines. 
They get the least benefit of the vaccine. They're the people we worry about the, the most. And they're also the people that we don't criticize their choices because the uh, particularly the obese ones. We don't say which I think they should have said right off the bat. Well, interesting. Uh, uh, immunocompromised by the CDC wouldn't include the obese. So it includes people with blood disorders, chronic leukemia, uh, includes those uh, transplant recipients. The most common category that your listeners would fall into is immunocompromised or people on chronic corticosteroids. This was Joe trying to shoehorn in obese mm-hmm. people to immunocompromised. There's a part later where he's, he's talking about them daring to judge him when they are taking such big risks with their health. He also doesn't like being judged about basically anything, right? Basically anything. But here's him talking about monoclonal antibodies. It's just hard to imagine being a person denying treatment to someone that you know would be effective because you're looking at some arbitrary rules that are written down that once they're admitted to the hospital, you can't give them monoclonal antibodies. And then to cast this judgment on them, why weren't you vaccinated? We're not going to treat you. I mean, but this is what's happening to a lot of patients. He has this this disease that people are judging him. They're looking at him and they're applying Mm. things and it's all outreach. But this links in, Matt, to this point about vaccines and what they do to you. So there's two clips here and listen to this. One of them is Rogan and one of them is Malone talking about what vaccines do to natural immunity. So you're infected by COVID mm, yeah, like early on nine February. Months, like nine, nine months. months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you still had a horrible reaction to it. Totally. And then even that, this is pure speculation. Um, the waning efficacy of the vaccine does that have an effect on your natural immunity, the natural immunity that you've had? So you're now opening up the big, big um, can of whoop-ass. Is that ADE? Okay. What's ADE, Matt? Mm. So the uh, opening the big can of whoop-ass, what's this? Can of whoop-ass. Is that ADE? ADE, so that's a whole nother rabbit hole. And I like to call it vaccine-enhanced infection or disease because ADE is just one subset of that. Okay. But there is signs in some data, and we were, we were talking about this just before the broadcast, um, uh, from Denmark, among other places, of negative efficacy against Omicron as a function of the number of vaccinations up to three. So... Um, negative efficacy, positive efficacy means it protects you. Negative efficacy means your probability of being infected is higher if you've taken the vaccine. And it's compared to unvaccinated, it seems to be somewhat higher um, if you've had one jab, even worse, even more likely to get infected if you've had two jabs, even more likely to get infected if you had three jabs. Could you just clarify that for me, Chris? He's claiming that the more jabs you get, one, two, three vaccinations, it increases the likelihood that you're going to be infected. Yes, that's right. And I can't remember what the acronym was there. It's like a negative thing, right? They're talking about negative effects of vaccines on the level of protection that natural immunity gives you and your possibility to get infected. So taking the vaccines makes your natural immunity worse and makes you more likely to get infected. That's just 
obviously absurd, but it's connected to another misunderstanding which I've seen a lot, which is people think that there is no advantage to getting vaccinated if you've previously been infected with COVID. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that, yes, being triple vaccinated and boosted is good, but you know it's not perfect. Nothing is perfect, including natural immunity. And actually, if you have both triple vaccinated and then you catch the virus, then that actually increases your thing again. And it works both ways, right? But people seem to think about it in terms of, oh, well, I've got natural immunity, so there's absolutely no benefit to me having the vaccines. My understanding is that's not true. The whole natural immunity, uh, vaccine-acquired immunity stuff, I think the literature is slightly messy, but the general perspective is that both provide your immunity, right? Because they're they're both activating the immune system response. So with natural derived immunity, it's highly variable what level of infection that you received and when you received it, usually that isn't entirely clear. Now you could get tested for the presence of antibodies and people want to argue that that should be equivalent to like having a vaccine passport, natural acquired immunity. And they are right in the argument that immunity is immunity. But I believe there is evidence that being vaccinated plus having natural immunity is slightly better. In the same way, there is a a waning efficacy over time. So you can get reinfected regardless of whether you caught the virus naturally Mm. before. Although that's something that Peter McCulloch denies. Yeah, <laughs> but I was burying the lead there. Like the really crazy thing, what he's saying is not only are vaccines dangerous, have all of these risks associated with them causing deaths in and of themselves, not only don't work, but actually have a negative impact. That's just nuts. It is. And all of these episodes, Malone and McCulloch, are just like a litany of discussions of the dangers of vaccines and adverse effects. And it's Rogan adding, not taking away, not asking penetrating questions. I can give two examples where Rogan wants to imply that there's a one in thousand chance of serious injuries from taking vaccines, which Mm. would be high. Where you've got billions of people vaccinated, that would be hundreds of thousands of people with serious injuries. This is the Malone episode, him bringing it up. Now, one of the things that people have said in response to the vaccine injuries is that it's approximately one in a thousand that are getting these significant injuries like myocarditis. And so you think it's there's a there's a well, um, it's important when we talk about these things to make a distinction between an event that is um, clinically significant and might result in hospitalization versus something that might be undetected unless you did a laboratory test. We've got like a note of caution, right? But the caution is that actually the events will be undetected because they won't be reported, right, in the hospital. So there should be many more adverse effects than one in a thousand. And Rogan returns to this, though. Now, uh, back to this number. Because we keep going past it and uh, going off on tangents. Yeah. One, uh, the, the number that keeps getting cited is one in a thousand people have adverse events, in, including myocarditis. Um, if myocarditis that requires hospitalization is one in 2,700. In boys. 
in boys. But there's also issues of people that have something like fatigue that has lasted well, those, those post vaccination. But I mean, there's a lot of those. A, a, there's a huge number of dysmenorrhea and menometrorrhagia. What are, what are those? This is alterations in menses in women. So oh, right. That is, that's a huge issue. Huge issue, Matt, there. Fertility. Fertility concerns are a huge issue. And you you hear the way the jumping around from like severe injuries to general side effects, fatigue to myocarditis. They're just constantly leaping around about what the, the claim is. Malone is bringing up fertility. This would be a big concern, right? If there are fertility impacts to vaccines mm. that are going to be rolled out to billions of people. So let's hear him discuss it a bit more. It's a synthetic chemical, a positively charged molecule. It's a fat with a charge on the end. It goes to the ovary at a very high rate, like 11% of the lipids. Now, this wasn't supposed to happen. It was supposed to stay in the arm where it got jabbed, but it doesn't. It goes all over the body. And one, it goes to two places that are really kind of anomalous, bone marrow and ovaries. <clears throat> now, the ovarian signal is really clear because it doesn't happen in testes. Now, so now you got a molecule, synthetic molecule, going to an organ, the ovary, that controls menstruation in a non-clinical model, a rodent, um, and subsequently, it's deployed widely in humans, and you have this phenomena of alteration in menstrual cycle. You know, Yuri Dagan, the lovely guy, but also somebody who has revoted a bunch of anti-vax stuff, specifically covered these studies about the relative prevalence in different organs, the test when they're looking at the vaccine. And he showed how that focus on ovaries is a complete red herring. So first of all, the amounts used in the rodents are hugely greater concentrations than used in humans. Second of all, the amounts that were detected were not damaging. They were, mm. they were not at the level to cause damage. And third, they were detected in higher concentrations in other organs, and it required cropping the figure, the graph, in order to make it look yeah. like there were these very high concentrations in the ovaries. But yeah. Malone is citing it as if not only is that proof, but then these anecdotal accounts of menstruation disruption prove we've got something very bad mm. going on. So yeah. there's so many weak chains in his yeah. claim. This is a difficult episode for us, I think, because largely the key points is just one falsehood after another, one piece of misinformation after another. And these things have been debunked. If they sound crazy, if they sound implausible, it's because they are. It's because they're simply wrong. The things we could point to is this self-aggrandizing narratives, this conspiratorial worldview in which it's just for inexplicable reasons that the, the powers that be are wanting to poison us all. But then on top of that is just simply a litany of falsehoods. If one were to accuse Malone, Kirsch, and McCulloch of being anti-vaxxers, then the various people in the heterodox sphere would claim that that is a total ad hominem, a slur, etc. But what else do you call it when you are providing such a degree of misinformation? 
all of it pointing to completely exaggerated or plain false risks about vaccines and totally false claims about alternative treatments and also about the purported inefficacy of vaccines. I'm not sure what else one would call it. There are a couple of times where both McCulloch and Malone explicitly point out that they're not anti-vaccine and that they have both been vaccinated. So an example from the Malone episode talking about the way that uh, anti-vaxxers ascribe to them is like this. There was an awareness in the pharmaceutical industry that this could be used to um, address a, a particular devil challenge that they had, which was the pejorative label anti-vaxxers. That's also been deployed against climate spe- skeptics. Okay, so anti-vaxxers, you'll recall, is the, the label that is used to, to basically take anybody out that is raising any concerns about vaccine safety. Um, it's, it's the pejorative that's applied. So anti-vax is a pejorative label, and you heard the link there as well, Matt, just randomly made to climate skepticism. I mean, it's understandable that um, people in these spheres don't like these labels because they are, in a real sense, ad hominems. If you say this is conspiracy theorizing, that this is conspiratorial ideation, you're a conspiracist, then that is an ad hominem. It is a slur, I guess. And it's the same with anti-vax. But the problem one faces is, what if it's true? I mean, people do have these non-evidence-based conspiracy theories. And how does one describe what they're doing without using these terms? So, Matt, we heard Malone be annoyed about the anti-vax label. And here's McCulloch making the same sentiment. Uh, in November of, of 2020 in the U.S. Senate. This is before the vaccines came out, and that is vaccination. Listen, vaccination should play a role. I've taken all the vaccines. Uh, my kids have taken all the vaccines. Uh, I went to India. I took extra vaccines. So there's, you don't have any problem with vaccines. Uh, what had happened is, I, I want to say by April of 2020, it was clear that the vaccine development program was far more advanced than we ever could have imagined. So we had clear denial of anti-vax sentiments, right, there. Uh, let's, let me just highlight the point that you're making, Matt. Like, so are we being unfair to liken all these technical issues they have with like a broad anti-vaccine stance? Isn't that just poisoning the well? So let's, let's see. If we want to get past the pandemic, that have to go is asymptomatic spread and asymptomatic testing. Get it out of here. The another one is natural immunity, robust, complete, and durable. Never wear a mask. Never take a vaccine. Never take another test. You're done. It's one and done. I advised the Sri Lankan government. They reached out to me and said, listen, we're in trouble. We're getting buried with COVID. This was several months ago. They said, we're running out of masks. What do we do? I said, get your COVID recovered people out there and man the tents and start handing out the ivermectin hydroxychloroquine-based protocols. And that's what they did. So never take a vaccine. Never take a vaccine test. But not just that, Matt. Not just that. It was quickly suppressed, but if anybody wants to type this in right now, you can actually learn that one of the very first vaccines tried in Australia actually turned everybody HIV positive. They didn't have HIV, but there was a molecular trickery that was going on. Having said this, now when we look back, when we look at the books, Popper, um, Bregan, uh, Robert F. Kennedy, and now uh, Atlas, it's pretty clear that this was planned. And it was planned 
and the mass the elements of the mass psychosis are clearly planned. In fact, the elements of the mass psychosis are in the Johns Hopkins planning document. They had that up on their website since 2017. Once the pandemic hit in March of 2020, in March of 2020, they actually published it in the peer-reviewed literature. You can see how it was all done. That's how the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health had the death count up on CNN and MSNBC and Fox as a scoreboard. I mean, it's not subtle, right? Just make a mental note. I fear that some of our listeners might not be super familiar with, say, Robert F. Kennedy or some of those oh, other... Oh, right. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But after this, we should talk about the disinformation network. But these are prominent anti-vax figures, not just new ones related to COVID. Robert F. Kennedy is one of the most well-known figures in anti-vaccine movement for like the past couple of decades. But even disregard that, Matt, and just listen to claim the pandemic was planned. They yep. had training exercises outlining it in advance. John Hopkins was involved. And we've had a giant loss of life, a giant number, millions and millions of unnecessary hospitalizations. And it seemed to me, and I said, I've told Tucker Carlson and many others, it seems to me early on there was an, an intentional, very comprehensive suppression of early treatment in order to promote fear, suffering, isolation, hospitalization and death. And it seemed to be completely organized and intentional in order to create acceptance for and then promote mass vaccination. So you believe this is a premeditated thing that they were doing. So they realized that in order to get people enthusiastic about taking this vaccine, the best way to do that was to not have a protocol for treatment. It's not just my idea now. It's completely laid out by the book by Dr. Pam Popper, the book recently published by Peter Bregan, uh, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. And what about the vaccines? The point is, people are under a trance with these vaccines. They actually know they're not safe and effective. They know it. They know when they took the vaccines, they took a risk. Now that the safety data, you know the vaccine centers cleared out in mid-April? I drive past one every day to work. And there used to be police officers. They were waving people in. There was cones. I, I, I was slowed down to try to get to the hospital because of vaccine traffic. And then it started to thin out and thin out and thin out. We got to mid-April. There was nobody there. People know the vaccines are not safe. They're aware of it. So that's McCulloch talking about it. How about Malone? Maybe he's less hyperbolic in the way that he presents it. I mean, he's not anti-vaccine, right? What the FDA didn't do was force the pharmaceutical manufacturers to do their job. Now, we can, we can wrap around, you know, well, maybe it was just they were all in a rush, we were all panicked, blah, 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 blah. But the bottom line was they didn't do their job. And they didn't force pharma to do its job. And they didn't employ the standard requirements for testing and verification that pharma was doing its job that I would expect to experience as a clinical researcher on one of my studies. Are, are there any studies on the amount of time that it takes before your, your system rebalances itself post-jab? I haven't and seen this. Is it accumulative? Like if you're dealing with three shots or four shots? That's, this, is, this is the, I'm sorry, this is the obscenity for me of this whole, well, we're going to give four shots uh, because we don't really know when we know we need to do something. I like to talk about the metaphor as a father, I don't know if you've had kids, yeah, I'm a grandfather, 
Okay, um, you give a three-year-old a hammer, and everything becomes a nail. Yeah. Okay, that's that's kind of a simple way of saying people that aren't well trained, given a powerful technology or tool, will abuse it and overuse it. In this case, there's multiple reasons not to do the multiple jabs. So, Matt, the reason I wanted to get that in there was, first of all, so there's Malone, you know, raising concerns about children, about them getting multiple jabs. That's a classic anti-vaxxing, right? That's Andrew Wakefield, that concern about multiple vaccines and the safety with children. This is a worrying thing. But, well, he doesn't sound as extreme as McCulloch, right? Mm. When you see this kind of decoupling of of public policy from logic, then it causes thinking people like yourself to say, what the hell's going on here, right? Um, And then we go down the rabbit hole, is it this, that, or the other thing? One of the things in that spectrum of what's going on is that the emergency use authorizations are predicated on um, policy determinations that were in a state of emergency. Those are now two years old. They're expiring. There, There is, I'm not saying this is what's going on in their head, but there is another perverse incentive here to amplify the fear porn and to amplify, if you buy into the hypothesis that for some reason there are incentives for the government to maintain the state of emergency. It was long and rambling, but it ends up here. The fact that they're removing this and that you would even consider that the reason why they're doing it is to extend the emergency use authorization. For political reasons. Is, that's insane. That's terrifying. It's, it's hard for me to reconcile the behavior of the government and its public health decisions with the data. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's, you, it's like there's two bins. Is it incompetence or is it malevolence? Are, are they, is it, is, is there some ulterior political motive or are they just dumb stupid? If, the, if there's some political motive, if that's written anywhere, someone's going to jail. I mean, if that, if that comes out, if that somehow or another gets leaked, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, that's scary. The, the... So did you, did you get it, Matt? I got it. It's astonishing, isn't it? They're claiming the entire world is either incompetent or malevolent. Conspiracy theories are amazing and that they just fall apart upon the slightest. We don't need to get into debunking and talk about safety and randomized controlled trials with a huge number of people that have had vaccinations where we would know if they were risky. But like they're speculating about the malevolent reasons for the US government, probably something to do with controlling people and political reasons. Who knows, right? Something dark and terrible. The Australian government too is in on it. You know, they, we, we've got our own program here. I mean, we all know this. <laughs> we've got our own program to tyrannize the Australian public. And I guess in the UK and Europe, there's, it, it's happening everywhere. Like for this thing even to be halfway plausible, there would have to be a global conspiracy. And this is where it takes us. I'm not surprised that these people have appeared on Alex Jones's Infowars because it requires globalist conspiracies on an Alex Jones level 
to think it's even plausible. The hyperbolic comparisons and the parallels between both of them. So I think we should move to the disinformation networks that they're tied up with. But one comparison they like to make, they referenced in some of the clips that we've played, is mass formation psychosis. This concept, we should probably talk about it a little bit, but they link this, as they inevitably would, to the Nazis, right? This is a common thing that anti-vax people want to do, is link vaccines to Mengele and... Yeah, medical experimentation on an unsuspected... experimentation. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the two of them doing that exact thing. This doesn't make any sense at all. Um, you know, I don't want to get too f- off your topic, but um, our government is out of control on this, and they are lawless. They completely disregard bioethics. They completely disregard the federal common rule. They have broken all the rules that I know of, that I've been trained on for years and years and years. These mandates of an experimental vaccine are explicitly illegal. They are explicitly inconsistent with the Nuremberg Code. They're explicitly inconsistent with the Belmont Report. They are flat out illegal and they don't care. And the only thing standing between us, and it's too late for many of our colleagues, including my you know, the unfortunate colleagues in the DOD. Um, hopefully, we're going to be able to stop them before they take our kids. It's illegal. There's been no safety. The government is out of control. There's no informed consent. We mm-hmm. never give any pressure, coercion, or threat of reprisal for participating in research. It violates the Nuremberg Code. And we certainly wouldn't do it with these vaccines because we don't have all the data yet. So, but yet so many people are doing that. Well, they're, I tell you right now, they're walking a line on bioethics that they will be held accountable. You can't do that. You can't do that. No one can. No good doctor can. No good doctor. I'm right now actually looking at an article from the University of New South Wales, Sydney, from their School of Population Health. You know, they're not talking about these characters, Malone and McCulloch. They're talking about the kind of tropes that are circulating among the anti-vax communities. It's another debunking, again, talking about the Nuremberg Code, pointing out no, COVID vaccines are not experimental, saying that no, it doesn't violate ethical, legal, and scientific requirements for conducting you. You know, but they uh, would say that, wouldn't they, Matt? They would they, say that. The New <laughs> South Wales School of Popular, they're in it, in on it too, obviously, and the Sea Peoples. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so they are in anti-vaccine networks, it's beyond debate because they themselves tell you that. I, I've seen this till now, but there is basically no figure with shredded credibility that they will not endorse. Everyone they mention are these people, and it's not surprising, right, who are fringe theorists, but who have these extreme theories. So here's an example from Robert Malone where he mentions two names, okay? Let's see who they are. You know, what, what it really is, is canceling. And Bobby Kennedy makes the point that the first real example of cancel culture that we can track is Tony Fauci canceling the esteemed virologist Peter Duisberg because he was raising questions about um, 
the origin of HIV and its role in the disease called AIDS. And I remember when that happened. I was a young man. I had Gisberg on my podcast a long time ago, and it was the first time I ever got, like, extreme pushback from people that were, like, I mean, this is after protease inhibitors had been used, so... It didn't even make sense. And people were saying, you have blood on your hands. People are going to die because of this podcast. And I'm like, what What are you saying? Right. Like, this is a guy who's a biologist, University, University of California, Berkeley. Full professor. Yeah. I mean, a brilliant Recruited. guy. Yeah. Totally. And, one of the best virologists of his generation, full stop. And um, very controversial opinions. But the only way to find out if someone's controversial opinions are valid is to ask questions and talk to them and let them express themselves. Only through long-form podcasting can we figure it out. Tell us about this person, Chris. Peter Duesberg. This is a well-known figure, controversial, because he claimed that HIV is not connected to AIDS. He's a HIV-AIDS denialist. He was part of the reason that South African government ended up preventing access to HIV retroviral treatments mm, mm. and estimated huge death toll associated with this, right? It's, it's theories are completely discredited, but Malone presents him as if he's a highly esteemed figure that has been silenced. It's canceling RFK Jr., an original anti-vax, one of the leading lights of the anti-vax movement who is endorsed here as an important voice that we need to hear from Um, and and who published a book criticizing Fauci, which Mm. was a pretty shrewd mood because it's made him a darling of right-wing media. Just to be clear, he was super-duper anti-vax long before COVID came along. He was a thimerosal truther. And like you said, co-authored this book, Vaccine Villains, What the American Public Should Know About the Industry. Yeah. He mentions a whole bunch of people, right? He mentions Canadian COVID Care Alliance, Zeb Selenko, Luc Montague. Let's listen to the Luc Montague reference. Spike causes that to become more like an open sieve. So things can go into your brain that shouldn't go into your brain. So that can trigger mm. brain inflammation, and that is one of the that is the risk that people like Luc Montagnier are concerned about with neurofibrillary tangles, which and that's why they talk about prions or Alzheimer's-like symptoms. So we mentioned the Noel disease, right? Luc Montagnier. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's French. Montagnier. Anyway, that guy. Mm. He's famous for claiming to be able to detect electromagnetic signals from DNA and from devising a treatment where essentially was a repackaging of homeopathy. And he denied it, but then later endorsed homeopathy. And this is the guy. He's the guy that's basically said the virus was manufactured and released. It's a synthetic virus. And Malone is citing him here as a reputable figure. All of the other people that they are mentioned, Canadian COVID Care Alliance, Zev Selenko. These are all people with these protocols or alternative claims that get refuted or that have been extremely questioned about the, the various extreme claims that they've made. But they're just constantly cited as these figures that we need to recognize. And many of them are fringe figures that were not specific to COVID, right? They're just 
people that are conspiratorially minded or they're anti-vaxxers. This should be a warning sign that if Malone, and it's not just Malone, the, the same pattern happens with McCulloch. If they are constantly endorsing anti-vaxxers, homeopathy advocates, HIV AIDS denialists, you have to see there's a pattern there of they don't have the ability to credibly assess people and they've got bad heuristics. Yeah, it's about red flags, isn't it? I mean, for, for somebody in our position who's not an expert, you can be critical without being an expert by just noting these red flags. And maybe if one or two of them crop up, maybe it's just a happenstance. They were wrong about such and such or happen to have a chance association with this person, whatever. But when they add up in such quantity, it should make anybody extremely skeptical. The, the other thing I noticed that little bit reminded me of is how many things that they are accusing the vaccines are doing to you. How many terrible things? Yeah. Like it's not just interrupting reproductive cycles. It's not just causing myocarditis or something like, you know, going into the brain and staying around the brain. I haven't made a list, but there's probably about 20 or 30 allegations. Now, when there's a genuine concern about a vaccine or any medical thing, it's generally more specific. So in, in the case of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, it was looking very promising, looking very good, very exciting for all concerned. Unfortunately, turned out to have not such great efficacy, turned out to cause these very rare but still concerning blood clotting side effects. Quite specific, quite clear cut, and it was withdrawn. That's something real. That's a real thing that happened. Mm. Even without being a medical person, that should just sound different from the kind of scattergun accusations that are being made by these people. You also hear in both cases, it's the same figures, Matt, that are being endorsed. Here's Peter McCulloch talking about Steve Kirsch. I mean, I, I give credit to those who have uh, advanced it. Uh, credit to Steve Kirsch, who's funded the COVID-19 early treatment uh, uh, program, and he's now funding the vaccine injury program. You know, Steve Kirsch, by the way, has a great offer out there for your listeners. I don't know if you know about this. No. His offer is anybody from any major academic medical center or any government agency who will come to the table and have a fair discussion on vaccine safety and efficacy. He'll pay him $2 million. Anybody? Anybody. You mean anybody who's like a high-level medical researcher or... Anybody who can, can make the case, even try to make the case that the vaccines are safe and effective. And if they don't make the case, they still get the money? Yeah. Really? That seems like an easy two million bucks. No one's you just come go forward. there and get your ass kicked for two million bucks. And <laughs> Joe, no one's come forward. Really? No, no one? one's come forward. Do they know about it? Incredulous, Joe. That's my folder for Joe's clips. All right, that's <laughs> it. He's he's such a mark, man. And these stunts with people setting up these huge bounties that can never be paid. It's such yeah. a tired trope of anti-vax and all pseudoscience things. What? That was McCulloch on Kirsch, Malone. But getting back to LinkedIn, so this is, this is the first event, and Steve Kirsch intervened, called up a vice president of LinkedIn. And, and Steve Kirsch is a tech guy, right? Yeah, he is. He's a Silicon Valley entrepreneur um, who you may or may not recall that I was on the Brett Weinstein Dark Horse podcast with Steve that kind of lit this whole fire up. 
months and months ago. That's right. Okay, that's where I first saw him. Yeah. Okay. So, so he he has great network connections in Silicon Valley. He invented the optical mouse, um, and so he he called this vice president of LinkedIn. The guy looked into it. Meanwhile, um, people started dropping off of LinkedIn in protest, and there was major press articles all over the world, and. Then they reinstated me, and I actually got a very kind letter. I, this is unprecedented, a personal letter from this vice president apologizing and saying, and saying specifically that they didn't have the talent to fact-check me. First of all, we get our head nod to our wonderful esteemed colleague, Brett Weinstein, and his beautiful yeah. role in introducing I'd, I'd, these two figures. Yeah, I'd, yeah, and thank you, Brett, so much for lighting a fire under all of this. Pierre Corey as well, bringing him on Rogan. Like, Brett is yeah. a big figure. I, I, for people who don't remember, it was Steve Kirsch who was claiming about the babies being bored with blood splattered everywhere due the to, due to the vaccines. Yeah. yeah, fertility yeah. mark, ringly bells. Steve Kirsch is a tech millionaire and was able to contact one of the board members or somebody high up in LinkedIn and get Malone reinstated. This is the opposite of censorship. It's utilizing connections that other people don't have to get special treatment. And, you know, it takes a long time for these people to get kicked off networks. Malone was only kicked off recently. Brett is still happily tweeting and sharing on YouTube away dark horse podcast so the figures who get kicked off they tend to be a bit less discerning and to go a bit far right and malone appearing on infowars should give you that indication right that he doesn't have the best strategic mind to avoid these consequences but it's they're in the same networks okay here's malone referencing mcculloch the guy is 150,000 150, in debt right now in the hole in trying to defend his medical license. This is one of the most highly published authors in the world. Um, he's an exceptional researcher, you know, and, and apparently a pretty good podcaster too. Um, uh, based on, <laughs> I mean, the guy's published more in his field than any other physician in history. And Baylor's trying to take him out. And it's not only Baylor, it's some entity outside of Baylor that's come in and is financing the attacks on him. But just to bring it home in a really, not to make it all about me, but to be able to speak in the first person. The conspiratorially minded would regard this as a network where people are actually engaged and are working to spread disinformation narratives, which they believe in. And actually, if you listen to them, they talk quite openly about the various times that they've had contacts with each other and they received this information from Steve Kirsch or I heard from McCulloch this. And I believe David Fuller has up on one of his articles where he's rebutting these, he received some screenshot about an email chain, which has all of these figures leaked in, strategizing about how to respond to things. And it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter the level of coordination that's involved. I suspect it's significant. But even if it weren't, they're constantly repeating each other's narratives and and like promoting these bad, unreliable sources of disinformation with complete 
credulity. We've seen mm. this in the Weinsteins. We've seen it in Rogan. And you see it with his experts here. There's no, like, there's no reason why a guy who just happened to, you know, have concerns about mRNA vaccines and that discovered these worrying features would endorse a HIV AIDS denialist. That should be a separate issue, but it isn't because the conspiracies all flock together and it's an illustration that their epistemic heuristics are bad. The red flags, they've marked it up so high that all you should be able to see for the horizon is red <laughs> flags blowing in the wind. And Joe Rogan sees none of it. He's no. a credulous fool. He's an yeah. anti-vax, arrogant, credulous fool. It's, it's frustrating to deal with him because you'll have people listen to this and then say, this was a very careful conversation. They just provided lots of information and facts. And they do overwhelm people, Matt. Like, you, you listen to the tone of these two people talking, they sound like experts. That's the real danger for a lot of casual listeners. People that listen to Joe Rogan for entirely innocuous reasons. They're not conspiracy theorists. They're not strange people. But Joe has these guys on who sound good, who seem to have a good track record and have this extraordinarily authoritative, reasonable voice, citing a whole bunch of technical stuff, knowing people in the circles of power and having the information directly from wherever it's China or Uttar Pradesh or whatever. Unless you really take some time, then you could be quite easily taken in and think, oh my God, of course I should not get these vaccines. Of course I shouldn't get my kids vaccinated. What was I thinking? I was a bit worried. Now I see that my concerns are entirely justified. And that's the irresponsible, dangerous thing that Joe Rogan's doing. And his best defense is just that he's a fool. He doesn't have the capability to, to do any better. We saw on his episode, that's not his defense. He thinks he does have the capability to collect good data and provide it. And um, Oh, he wouldn't make that defense for himself, but that's, that's my no, defense. He, but he does. <laughs> he does do it for himself. He says that he is just a guy, just a normal guy trying to work things out. And he's a stupid MMA meathead. So like, why do people listen for him? But that's not what he thinks. He sees himself as a pushback against tech authoritarian dystopian future that he envisions. And he's explicit about it. And uh, for me personally, it's so confusing that I find myself in a situation where I feel compelled to have people like you on because I don't know where else this is going to get out. I don't. So, so um, thank you on, on behalf of, you know, in my case, I'm the president of the International Alliance of Physicians and Scientists. We're over 16,000 people from all over the world, physicians and scientists. And you can find our website at www.globalcovidsummit.org. Um, we are gobsmacked about what's going on. He's compelled, Ma. And they feel like they have this ultimate power to just force people into this binary solution. And the ability also to suppress information, which may in fact be accurate, that the vaccines do carry a risk. What you said today, none of, none of this is wild conspiracy theory. You're obviously incredibly well-educated and you're more than qualified to distribute this information. 
But if this was on YouTube, this would get taken down. We're very fortunate that Spotify doesn't operate like that and that this can be received by millions of people all over the world. But there's not a lot of avenues for this now. There's very few, in fact. They're randomly, I mean, not randomly, just they're purposely targeting experts and doctors that have opinions that differ from the approved narrative. You are one of those experts. Well, maybe because I looked in the camera and gave a wink in one of the interviews, I think it was Tucker Carlson, where I said, bring it on. And this is what I mean about this. This is a giant game of chicken. And the bottom line is the people who win are the people with the truth. Brave words. Brave words. Fuckers. <laughs> the self-aggrandizing and Joe's certainty. The thing is, he's right in a sense. He is this pivotal point now in an anti-vax information network. He's their biggest outlet. And this leads maybe to like one of the last points, Matt. But, you know, and just, just again, just to highlight, Joe knows exactly what he's doing with his podcast. And he, those claiming it's, you know, just him having a conversation, just chatting back and forth. That's, that's not what it's about. I'm just hoping that that clip where you explained this mass formation psychosis makes the rounds. And uh, I think everything you've laid out today is about as clear and as rational and as uh, well-documented as uh, I could have hoped and more. Um, so thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for everything that you've done. And Jesus Christ, Twitter, put the fucking guy back on. <laughs> Mass formation psychosis is a sort of psychology sounding phrase that he made up as if it was a thing to explain were, what's going on here. Yeah, so it's McCulloch who first references it and he attributes it to a, I think it's a Belgian academic who is also like a, you know, COVID contrarian. And then it is repeated by Malone promoted all around so it again yeah. A, a, yeah a conspiratorial minded person might regard this as a coordinated campaign well this is how conspiracies work if you look at the 5g conspiracies or the chemtrail conspiracies they always involve an ingredient a mechanism to explain why so many of the sheeple are not waking up to the truth that is right in front of their nose that, that the conspiracists can see very clearly. So very much par for the course in terms of bog standard uh, conspiracy theories to invent this pseudoscientific mechanism, which is basically that the populations of the world have... You don't need to describe it, Matt. They'll describe it. What your listeners need to know is a mass psychosis is when there is a groupthink that develops that's so strong that it leads to something horrific. And the examples are these mass suicides that occur in these religious cults. The example is Nazi Germany, when people walk into gas chambers and were gassed, these horrific things. And, and four elements here is very important, Joe. First, there must be a period of prolonged isolation, lockdowns. Number two, there must be a, a, a withdrawal of things taken away from people that they used to enjoy. That's happened. Number three, there must be constant incessant free-floating anxiety. 
all this news cycle, all the, the deaths and the hospitalizations, more, more variant mutant strains, everything. People are becoming scared over and over again. And the last thing, number four, the capper. The capper is there must be a single solution offered by an entity in authority. And in this case is clear. Worldwide, the solution was vaccination. Everybody must take the vaccination. It's not a U.S. program. It's not a European program. It's everywhere. And you know what, Joe? It doesn't matter what vaccine it is. It could be uh, Chinavac, Coronavac. It could be Novavax. It could be Pfizer, Moderna, J&J. It's interesting that it doesn't even matter what vaccine it is. It's just take a vaccine, take any vaccine. And so what mass psychosis says is, number four, the solution, there's no limit to the absurdity of the solution. These frequent comparisons to the Holocaust, first of all, it's stupid. People were not hypnotized. And the final solution, right? I I mean, we draw direct parallels if you ask them as well, but the final solution is not what he's claiming where everybody knew that this is the this is what's ongoing and they all signed off on it being like uh, the, the the preferable solution. No, that wasn't what the Nazis did. They did demonize an outgroup. They did create support for the persecution of Jewish people and the need to remove them from society, but didn't let everyone know what was going on at the gas chambers. It would be insulting people's intelligence to point out how stupid that is. But this is the thing. If I was reading about the concerns raised about the J&J vaccine, and then they started talking about mass formation, hypnosis, psychosis, and ignore it, comparing it to the whole, that would make me skeptical because that is such a lurid and hyperbolic comparison. Such emotion-laden. Yeah, that is not how normal measured reservations are expressed about not just vaccinations, about any health, medical, or scientific risk. So the red flags, the the moral of every uh, story for this episode is that the red flags are there. There's so many red flags. I have to make this contrast. So, you know, Matt, you mentioned mass formation psychosis in Nazi Germany. So that was McCulloch talking about that, right? Malone. Mm. This comes from basically European intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s. You know, very intelligent, highly educated population, and they went barking mad. Um, And how did that happen? Um, The answer is mass formation psychosis. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety and a sense that things don't make sense, we can't understand it. And then their attention gets focused by a leader or a series of events on one small point, just like hypnosis. They literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. And one of the aspects of that phenomena is the people that they identify as their leaders, the ones typically that come in and say, you have this pain and I can solve it for you. I and I alone okay, can fix this problem for you. Okay. Then they will lead. They will follow that person through. It doesn't matter whether they lie to him or whatever. The data are irrelevant. And furthermore, anybody who questions that narrative is to be immediately attacked. They are the other. <clears throat> this is central to mass formation psychosis, and this is what has happened. We had all those conditions. 
that is a conspiracy theory. But it's not a pejorative to describe that as conspiracy theorizing. It's, it's quite direct. The thing that I want to return to briefly is your point that Joe is not a casual interviewer here. He's quite explicit about it. Tip our hats to Brett Weinstein for for kicking this whole thing off and putting these marginal figures on everybody's radar. Now they're on Joe Rogan and other places. And Joe Rogan sees his role as an activist. He certainly sees himself as an activist playing his role to platform these important speakers who are going to pull the wool away from people's eyes and let them see the terrible deception that has been perpetrated on them. And that's his own view of himself. That's not our claim about him. Matt, just to, to, to illustrate your point. I want to talk more about this um, mass psychosis. Um, this, do, you, do you believe that this is an organized mass psychosis? This, all these steps that you put about isolation, um, t- taking away basic freedoms, and then offering up one individual single solution to this. And this is what has sort of fueled this, what's very obvious to people, that there's a lot of people that are not acting well. They're not acting normal. Um, they are attacking people that seem to be ideologically opposed to whatever is going on and they're they're marching in lockstep with the authoritarians and they're they're doing it like you would like like stockholm syndrome or something it's it's very strange do you think this is an organized thing do you think this is just what happens when you have a massive group of people that are dealing with an incredibly uh tense and anxiety ridden event like a pandemic where no one knows what the solution is, and a lot of people, a lot of people are terrified of just everyday life, and then all of a sudden something like this comes along, and those are the people that are more easily manipulated, and they fall in line together because there's sort of a tribal aspect, this type of thinking and behavior, and you find support from other people that are equally afraid. So that's a hell of a question. It doesn't sound like that's Joe asking if someone else thinks. That that's Joe's theory about what this is, and the answer he wants there from McCulloch that is, is yes, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know, we're banging a drum here. I, we could go on. There's hundreds more examples, but I want to finish by highlighting one of the things that I think allowed this event to happen, and which drew Joe Rogan in. And now there's some differences between Malone and McCulloch. Maybe we'll cover them in wrapping up. But one which is quite clear is that Malone is better and more direct about praising Joe and saying that he's not doing that. So so let me just give you some examples. That is another brilliant question. Um, I'm not saying this to butter you up. Um, and thank you for asking it. So um, that's a, it was a very broad question. And um, so, Joe, um, again, this is not me buttering you up, but this is, this is why you're providing such a service to your country and to humanity, because you're one of the few voices that um, has a, an audience that is 
not Democrat or Republican or black or white or vaccinated or unvaccinated, all these dipoles that we create artificially. Um, and you are trying to speak to that persuadable middle and, and do so with, with an open heart um, and an open mind. And in a world in which all of the information is being so carefully manipulated and so pervasively distorted. And, and I, I'm grateful, sincerely. My colleagues are grateful. Um, and, and I think the world uh, should be grateful for your leadership. That is another brilliant question. Yeah, it's not that... bothering them up, Matt. It's not bothering them up. <laughs> no, but you, sir, are a hero. But he's good at it, isn't he? Like that's like if you're listening to this and you're on board, then you would get those warm, fuzzy feelings that yes, these are the heroes that we need, that we can all come together across all sides and put aside this bickering. For those of us who are brave enough to find the truth, it's out there. And uh, thank it, you, Joe, for bringing it to us. I mean, it's not that he wants to butter Joe up, but so you know, Joe, you're in media, I guess. You know, Joe. Right? You know, and and Joe. You don't have to believe me. You, you know, your audience is smart enough. They can go on Worldometer and look it up and look at the mortality and morbidity in these different countries and figure it out for themselves. That's right. They can figure it out for themselves. They're 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 good. But you know, Joe's Joe's not just a podcaster, Matt. So would the assumption be that there's something that's happening to people that are vaccinated? where it makes them more susceptible to this particular strain of COVID because this particular strain of COVID, this Omicron, is a vaccine escape variant, meaning that it sort of tried to find its way around the protection of the vaccine. So now you're selected for that. So now you're trying to um, impose a high. What you're doing is generating a hypothesis. Yeah. Um, which is good. And one of many possible hypotheses. And so in a world, a proper world, where we are allowed to debate these things and do these kinds of studies and examine these kinds of variables without being right in social yeah. media, um, we would have a very active discussion about this hypothesis and many others. Now, that's my, my way of not answering your question. Joe's a scientist, Mark, you know, he's got a great hypothesis. He's got a mind that's very critical. It does remind me of Brett and Heather, who, who seem to genuinely think that science is done by having these conversations, doing these long-form podcasts, and in doing so, we can get at the truth. And it's very flattering to, in this case, Joe, but also the audience who can figure it out for themselves. And every conspiracy theory does that. It's all about flattering your ego that you can figure it out for yourself. Just, just go and look out the window, Chris. Is, does the earth look round to you? Open your eyes. Have a start thinking for yourself. Do some experiments. Well, <laughs> like, well Matt, know. you know, but it's look, Matt. Don't be cynical. Joel has good goals. Joe, part of the reason I know you're somebody who is really committed to bringing everybody together, and the idea that we're really one America. Um, we're one people. We shouldn't be divided like this. I'd but, like that for the whole world. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Okay. We're aligned. We're just humans. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> it shouldn't be so easy. 
It shouldn't be so easy to, you know, you just have to train his ego and he'll, he'll call you the inventor of mRNA. <laughs> I'm just noticing things that resonate with other gurus who have looked at, but that idea of standing above the fray, this awful partisan politics, and we're above that, right? Or this awful identity politics and so on. We're all, we're all humans, Chris. I mean, mm. can't people see that? That we're all just people, you know, when it's not, not Republicans and Democrats, we're all Americans, Chris. Well, not you and me, but them. <laughs> <laughs> so like, there's some differences between them. McCulloch doesn't butter up Joe in the same way. He's kind of like more the elderly statesman. He still, you know, he still gets his backpats in, but not like Malone. Malone is, is much more, it's not sophisticated. It's just like kind of slimy. I don't know how to put it, but when you notice it, it feels gross, right? Like mm. he's, he's just massaging Rogan's biceps in front of you. <laughs> well, we talked about the, the self-aggrandizement and the inflation of your and, and the grievance about not being recognized, like these are, these are narcissistic traits, right? Now everyone's familiar with Donald Trump and knows about that kind of style. But one forgotten trait of people on the narcissistic spectrum is, is that of flattery. Yeah, stroking yeah. other people's egos when they want to get them on side. And tr Trump was famous for that too, of course. And I, I feel like it fits, it fits that uh, dimension, but give us, give us one. Do you have another example for us? I've got a final thing is, so McCull this is like a distinguishing feature of McCulloch is that he wants to claim you, you can't get COVID twice and that a lot of the tests are false positives, right? I think Malone is also on the false positive thing, but he's not on like, you can't get COVID twice because he claims they've got COVID twice. So right. here's, here's uh non-ambiguous claims the cdc doesn't give a green light to do this asymptomatic testing and people like you and me we just walked in we have asymptomatic testing that if we get a positive the chances that that positive are as false positive is 97 percent. 97 percent, and that is if you are asymptomatic completely asymptomatic and to make matters worse so many of us have already had COVID 19 and now our cdc admits finally through a freedom of information act lead attorney aaron siri pressed the CDC and said, listen, you're saying you can get COVID twice. Show us a case. Show us a case. Pressed, pressed, pressed. Finally, the CDC director came out and said, you know what? You can't get it twice. 97% false positive detection rates in asymptomatic individuals and the CDC have claimed you cannot get COVID twice. That's, that's very odd given in Australia, we were like testing what, 100,000 people a, a day, whatever. And when we were COVID-free, they weren't getting any positives. So <laughs> that's, I wonder how yeah. that happened. It doesn't make sense. It's not true. Rogan operates purely through anecdote. His things are always about his friends, something happened to his friend and stuff. And so he kind of, this is one of the very few cases where he actually does push back. And mm. it's, it's through use of anecdote, right? I have a friend that got it twice. What you have is you have a friend who thinks he had it twice. What happened is on one or more occasions, it's a false positive test, or he actually had the dead virus that he's carrying forward. Somebody in my, somebody in my family circles had COVID-19, for sure had it, got sick. That person tested positive intermittently 17 times. Yeah, but this wasn't just a test positive. He got sick, he recovered, and then about seven, eight months later, he got sick again, tested positive again, 
and had a much milder case of it, but still got COVID twice. Yeah, it wasn't a second case. This is what's happened. For sure? Yeah. There's about 100 purported cases like this in the literature. I've looked at them all. Yeah, that's that revealing, day. isn't it? Where the, the one time that Rogan pushes back is when he has a friend. <laughs> yeah. So it's not ambiguous, right? Though my, I agree, Rogan, like all Rogan cares about is well, it fits with his anecdotal experiences. He got better. He took these medicines. Therefore, they work, right? Yeah. Like that's, a, that's the way his brain works. So it's not ambiguous. Once and you're done. We don't ride on one test alone. But in the case where it's well documented and you're sick, you're done. You basically have permanent immunity at that point. Now, over 35, 135 studies support that now. Paul Alexander. Permanent immunity. Permanent. SARS-CoV-1, which is 90% similar to SARS-CoV-2, it's forever. So it's forever. if you have symptoms and you recover from those symptoms, likely you have lifetime immunity. Everything we can tell, it's just like SARS-CoV-1. SARS-CoV-1 is 17 years old. It's one and done, supported by 135 studies. The confidence map, right? Mm. The confidence, the claim, one and done. 135 studies. 135 studies. studies. When Malone was talking to Rogan, he wanted to just clarify a point because Rogan pointed out, oh yeah, McCulloch said, you know, you can't get it twice. Since we're, we're down this little rabbit hole, let me just say one thing. Peter called me and he said, Robert, make sure you talk to Joe and make it clear that although I spoke clearly and forcefully about one and done when I was on his show, that was before Omicron. Yeah. And so Peter wanted me to make sure that your audience knew. No, yes. <laughs> we, we've actually talked about that because I have several friends right now that have tested positive for COVID for a second time. And that is post that podcast with him. He was pretty sure that if you got Delta, you would never get it again. Since we're, we're down this little rabbit hole, let me just say one thing. Peter called me. And he said, Robert, make sure you talk. So okay. It's not, not once and done, but it, it's because of Omicron. So that's why it is. It's, and McCulloch calling Malone, right? Get that information out on his appearance. Like, hmm. Yeah. He wouldn't be shooting from the hip and making random spurious claims and getting cold feet about one of them. No, 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 no. And I, uh, Matt, there's, there was one, there's, a, there's one other clip that I think I have to play. It's, it's pretty damning on Joe. It's just one more of those examples that when people present Joe as this figure who's not really pushing uh, a narrative, right? Like he's, he just wants to know questions. He doesn't have an ideology. Was the problem that there was a lot of problems with Donald Trump being in office that when he would approve of something or when he would talk about something, people would attack that thing. And hydroxychloroquine became something that he talked of as a cure and talked about as a treatment for COVID. And then it became politicized. And then support for hydroxychloroquine became support for Trump. Do you, would you set? Would you think that that was accurate? I'd have to look at the timeline. Boy, it was quick because the backlash against hydroxychloroquine was so strong in Brazil and Australia. Why do you and, think that is, uh, though? No, but the, the timing, the question is, did it happen before or after Trump said anything? Uh, it happened very quickly. You know, through the course of the year, it was extraordinary. So there's a that was answered, kind of, right? My, was it about Trump? And is that what? caused it and 
McCulloch got to his credit. <laughs> like, God, got to give him something. Yep. Says, like, well, no, maybe it was quicker than that. Is mm. it possible that the demonization of hydroxychloroquine was because Donald Trump supported it? Because I know for like the way I had been hearing about it was hearing about it through him. That he talked about it. It's basically a miracle. Remember all that stuff? He was saying it was a miracle. As I recall, that was late March. I think when it was honestly made illegal in Australia, it was early April. Uh, you know, I went on Tucker Carlson. We had the same type of discussion. T Tucker says, how did the Australians know to make it illegal so early in April? <laughs> so you Again, again, these Australians, Chris. Yeah, you, you got there quick. But it wasn't enough for Rogan that the Trump derangement thing. It didn't think. And he asked it again. <laughs> and then eventually McCulloch says... I saw a trend. You've asked me three times, so I'm going to answer it. I saw a trend starting in... April, May, and June, where it became clear that anything we were doing to try to help patients with early treatment was receiving a chill. And the chill was coming through academic institutions, through the medical literature. I think the capper was in June when there was a fraudulent paper published in Lancet on hydroxychloroquine between Harvard and a company called Sur Surgisphere. And this never happens. Lancet is like the New England Journal of Medicine of the world. I'm the editor of a major journal. I run a journal. I know what it takes. There's, there are editors, associate editors, reviewers. There is pinpoint accuracy. We check references. We check plagiarism. Believe me, it's a tight world out there. They basically published a fraudulent paper on hydroxychloroquine in Lancet in 2020, around June. And they let it hang up there for two weeks, stating that hydroxychloroquine was associated with harm. And then they withdrew it and highlighted the problems with the study to do mm. that. So the, 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 like the conspiracy theory at the end there, of like, you know, he, he basically goes on saying they'd never apologized. They never, but they took it down, they retracted it. That's a rare thing. But the link for that particular thing was Rogan goes on again to try and link it to Trump derangement yeah, syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. So he has a line. It isn't just, I mean, he's, it's so obvious. It should be obvious by now, but he's, he is a part of this and not just an innocent doughhead. Yeah, that's true. We, we saw that with the previous interview with Rocco Jocko Willick, where it was just very clear that Joe had his culture war, anti-Democrat kind of thing and really wanted to talk about it. And Jocko would have eventually acquiesce. But I'm just really curious about the role of the Australian government. I mean... You it's know, huge, why, Matt. Why, why, why did they, <laughs> why did they stop? I don't think they made it illegal. I'm, I think under the pharmaceutical benefit scheme and you know approved treatments and so on, they they would have obviously rejected it, it because, was it, because it, it didn't work. They, it was it was to undermine Trump. It was to undermine Trump. Yeah. So we, Matt, we got look, the we look. got the memo. Australia got the memo from the Democrats. Got <laughs> to uh, make Trump look bad. We're three and a half hours in this episode. Right. It's been a litany of conspiracies, grand claims, self-aggrandizing, conspiratorial bullshit. And so I think we should round out for people's sanity, right? Because they've, if you haven't got it, like, again, it's like with the Rocco, uh, you've got me saying Rocco now, the Jacqueline <laughs> Rogan episode, like, come on, come on, like, oh, just exercise your skeptical functions. These are not people just asking 
important technical questions. They're conspiracy theorists. They're advocating anti-vax narratives. Ignore their casual disclaimers, their pseudo-jargon-filled medical lingo, right? It's there to bamboozle you from what are very common anti-vax and conspiratorial talking points. That's why they're on Infowars. That's why they're endorsing the depopulation claims. That's why they think HIV and the AIDS denialists and standard anti-vaxxers are the sources they recommend for you to be going to. And that's why they think they are the people with the revolutionary theories that are being suppressed by the establishment that could save the world, right? But these and, are prodigious. Oh, sorry, Matt. And that's why they're making these lurid comparisons to the Holocaust and mm. talking about a global conspiracy to put people in a state of fear so as to more easily control them. Yeah. That's why. So what my good point for this episode is, we try to say something nice about people. I'm not going to for these people because I think they're doing so much harm. I, I don't want the prism after listening to this lurid conspiratorial nightmare of an episode which we've inflicted on people. But yeah. I will say the good point is it's highlighted that the gorometer is an extremely useful <laughs> instrument. Got, yeah, so, so thank you. Thank you, McCullough. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm alone for this. New listeners might not know. We came up with 10 criteria that are common to secular gurus. And these red flags that we're talking about are on the gorometer. They're the board, all there. The board is lighting up. <laughs> yeah, they're at the top. So check it out. Check out the gorometer episode. It's way back in the annals of the early episodes. But they have revolutionary theories. They have pseudo-profound bullshit. They engage in conspiracy mongering. They are self-aggrandizing, grievance mongering, anti-establishment galaxy brains. That's yeah. what you're dealing with. What about, what about the, did you say Cassandra? Cassandra I complex? Didn't, I couldn't fit it into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too, that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so the good thing about this is it's a complete vindication of our model, which we developed long before we ever heard of these jokers. Uh, so that's nice. Yeah. That's right. Nice. We were there. We were, you know, we, we were the inventors of the garometer. <laughs> yeah, the original <laughs> inventors of the, uh, yeah, so look, cool. I mean, you're completely right, Chris. And it's quite clear now that Joe Rogan has embarked on a crusade. It's a terrible, bad crusade, one completely founded on lies. And it is totally harmful. I mean, on social media, the comment section illustrate the grounds of the appeal of this messaging. The, the, the people who are yeah. energized by it, the people who are excited by it, are people who are absolutely anti-vaxxers, absolutely just frothing at the mouth conspiracists. Um, they're very excited by this material. They see it as a great vindication and a great platforming, and sadly, they're right. So that sucks. Thanks, Brett and Heather Weinstein. Thanks, Joe Rogan, for doing this. You're contributing to a lot more death and disease that is unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. And like we say, we'll put the links to the technical debunkings in the show notes for people that want to check farther. So I'm sorry that we have to do an episode like this. I, I I think it's useful to do, but it's not enjoyable. And yeah, like the unfortunate thing is it'll be a new person next week or next year. This is 
this is just what happened. So I want to recommend like build up your ability to detect these people because the red flags are always the same, even though the specific talking points and issues change. Mm. It's always and, the same. And also the, the people who will point to Joe Rogan and say, oh, it's an, it's an important voice, you know, really important for raising the perspectives that we need to hear. And so, yeah, well, maybe those people do not have the finger on the pulse because... No, I, I told you this, Matt, that I watched an episode with Joe Rogan talking to Carrot Top because um, it queued up on Spotify and it was good. It was an entertaining discussion between two comedians and, you know, Joe came across as a nice guy, Carrot Top did as well. And they had an entertaining discussion. They talked on COVID a little bit, but they kind of went past that. And, and that's the Joe that a lot of people fixate on, but they should recognize that Joe is the same Joe that is doing this. It's the same person. So you have to take the bad with the good and you have to grapple with what he's actually putting out, not just focus on carrot top. Cause it isn't the, the carrot top episodes, which, you know, Joe is passionate about promoting and feel it necessary to get out there to respond to the mainstream narrative. His crusades are around this kind of content. Um, yeah. so yeah. yeah, correct. Uh, correct. Yeah. Look, it hasn't been fun, Chris. I was looking forward to, uh, Robert, Wright. Robert Wright, which would have been an interesting intellectual discussion. Instead, we had this marathon of disinformation, dangerous disinformation. So, you know, there hasn't been a great deal to say of, of interest. I feel sorry for people listening to it in a way because, yeah, it's just not good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, so... Let's try to finish on a slightly more positive note <laughs> and apologizing for the, the, the content. We'll return to our review of reviews segment. Um, ah, this will be refreshing. Just, okay, deep breath. Just, ah. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start. <laughs> I'll start. Well, maybe I should start with a, a positive one just to give us like a little backpack before we get to the negative. And so I, I like this. It takes less time than listening to guru podcasts. Five stars. <laughs> I heard of this show via Robert Wright. The episodes are too long and mainly about people <laughs> I've never heard of or don't care about. But whenever <laughs> a family member or friend starts telling me nonsense they heard from pranks, I come here and get a reader's digest of the cranky ideas along with reasonable criticism of cranky ideas. Keep it up guys. Despite the ungodly length of your episodes, listening takes less time and causes less headache than figuring out who the F Brett Weinstein is and what he talks about on my own. And that <laughs> is why Johnny C. Johnny C. Thank you, Johnny C. That, that's very fair. The episodes are too long, especially the end of this one. I feel, I feel completely on board with this. It's, it's not very pleasant. Nobody should be listening to it. It makes me depressed. I'm not surprised other people don't enjoy the experience or want to avoid it. But yes, that's good that's to not, hear. Well, that, but there are people who request longer episodes just for balance, Matt. Just for balance. Right? <laughs> so 
I think that this one, though, is pretty good. And I'm going to take it as a positive. It's, it's two out of five stars, overrated. Okay, that's the title. And mm. it says, I don't understand why so many people I respect love this podcast. It is smug. <laughs> it's unhealthy obsession with alleged conspiracy theories and a handful of IDW types is just bizarre. And its blind spots are numerous. The hosts are also hardly knowledgeable enough to debunk the theories they target. Overall, extremely underwhelming and pretentious. And this is from Nicholas AGD, who, of course, is an American. But tell, um, us, what, tell us what you really think, Nicholas. <laughs> but Nicholas, you know, Nicholas can have his opinion. Look, we covered a fellow called McCulloch, a fellow called Malone. Are, are these two characters part of the same five people that we keep? No. We, 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 this is so they are one degree of separation. <laughs> well, yeah. And they did get their break on, you know, but regardless wait, wait, of no, no, that. No, 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 wait, wait. Alleged conspiracy theories? Alleged? If you've listen, been listening to this show, it, you know. No, the answer is no, he hasn't, Matt. No, uh, that's right, because it, it, it wasn't released when he wrote the review. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. But, <laughs> but also, yeah, they're, they're wrong because they say our, our analysis is shoddy and clearly not. The barometer lit up. I'm sorry, you were defeated by a precise instrument. But the reason I want to highlight this negative review, Matt, and it's the only negative one in recent times to add, is because... This guy is upset that so many people he loves and respects are overrating us so highly. So ah. too bad for him that his friends and family have better taste than AJD. That's, yeah. that's the bit I take solace from. His network are just <laughs> extolling our virtues and he's sitting there like a little grumpy frog saying, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't agree. I don't agree. Yep. <laughs> Get, get on board, mate. Maybe they know something you don't. That's yeah. right. But if, yeah. you, if you love and respect them so much, maybe maybe take it on board. Maybe it's you. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> this, this wasn't a very charitable review. <laughs> so, no, it was. It's fine. So many, Matt. He gave us the material. It's, uh, we're in a negativity spiral. With, we are. We've been sucked into it by the anti-vax bastards. And... We're going to be out of there. Like, this is a problem that the gurus love anti-vax stuff. So it, it comes up frequently, but it's a, it's a terrible and depressing thing to deal with. So we are getting out of this space on the next episode, come hell or high water. And yeah, for anybody who stuck through to the end, I appreciate you doing so. And we want to give a shout out to some of the people that, that enable us to, to do this. If you don't mind, Matt. No, love to. I'm all for that. So the conspiracy hypothesizers this week are Liren Shapira, Bob, Samuel Grant, Mir Khan, Richard Hardy, Fiergold, J.M., John T., and Kieran Ryan. Those are our conspiracy hypothesizers. Every great idea starts with a minority of one. We are not going to advance conspiracy theories. We will advance conspiracy hypotheses. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Remember to go on from your hypothesis and move on. You know, don't just stick with hypothesizing. You got to test it, then work towards a theory. Like Joel. That's how it works. And then eventually you come up with a law. 
Like every conspiracy theory that Joe proposes is bullshit. That's yeah. pretty much a law at this point. That's how science works. I agree. And our, our revolutionary geniuses for this week are Joe Percy, Michael Nelson, David, Jenny Weissin, Collapsing, and Thomas Clark, a figure I know from Twitter. Um, oh, and Le Chiffre. Le Chiffre. Le Chiffre. <laughs> yeah. That, that's my so, favorite. Revolutionary geniuses, Ma. Revolutionary geniuses. geniuses. Well done, guys. Maybe you can spit out that hydrogenated thinking and let yourself feed off of your own thinking. What you really are is an unbelievable thinker and researcher, a thinker that the world doesn't know. Okay. So, Galaxy Green Gurus, we have Z, Michael Moriarty, Helgi Benson, and Kasper Kivinislan. Kivinislan. Inislan. <laughs> Those are difficult names. Oh, and is there one more that I want to add on there? Yes, there is. Travis. 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 <laughs> I like that. Thank you, Travis. <laughs> thank you, Travis. In, in particular, Travis. Specifically you. The rest of thank you as well, I guess. But Yeah, thank you all. And I'm sorry. I wiped the name. Sorry, sorry, sorry. He's very sorry. Uh, you are Galaxy Green Gurus. You are. You're sitting on one of the great scientific stories that I've ever heard. And you're so polite. And hey, wait a minute. Am I an expert? I kind of am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't trust people at all. Thank you, Scott Adams. You suddenly seem more entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, so I know. He's, at least he's smart. He's evil, but... Their know. problem, Matt, is not that they're not smart. That's not their problem. No, Malone yeah. and McCulloch. No, no. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's it for this week. And sorry, sorry, everybody. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. yeah, we, we know, we feel it too. We feel it too. All right. This is, this is the most depressing, unpleasant, consistently unenjoyable episode it's, that we we've done. This one takes the cake. I mean, there hasn't been many interesting nuances, any fascinating little things to discover. It's just been all of the things that we know about these secular gurus. The gurometer lit up. It's stuff we've seen before. We weren't surprised to hear this stuff. Uh, we were just disappointed. And Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, look, uh, putting them together was maybe too potent of a dose. <laughs> it was too much. But the parallels, they should be obvious to you, right? And uh, hopefully... Some of the things that we highlighted are useful for people. And the reality is you don't need area expertise to see these red flags. You just, you just have to be critical in consuming the content and think about the extent of the claims and look for the warning signs. And, That's right. and no, not, not everyone is a guru. No. These people are a specific type of person and you can identify them. That's right. They are exceptional. This is not normal. It's not usual. And you don't need to have this great technical expertise and you don't need to go 
down a rabbit hole of complex data sets and graphs and peering exception hunting and so on. No, you can just exercise the kind of common sense, the kind of social intelligence or, or intuition that you would apply in your everyday life to identify people or situations that don't smell right. I think hopefully we've just illustrated some of those red flags for people in the public infosphere that do not smell right, that are, are probably not a good source of information. You don't need to get to the bottom of it yourself. You don't need to be the one like Neo in the Matrix to figure it all out. You just need to get a sense of how much uh, trust to allocate to different figures. And in this case, the amount of trust you should allocate should be infinitesimal, infinitesimal. And I, you know, I just hope that people can learn that trick and then you'll get vaccines and you won't take stupid things like ivermectin and you won't get sick and die. Or at least, you know, like, don't take those little alternatives. You know, as a deep parasiting medication, seems to be fine. Yeah, yeah. That's it, but the, the issue is, uh, oh, hmm, actually, anyway, well, whatever. whatever. So there whatever. we go. Whatever. Whatever. I'm over it. I want to have lunch. Chris, do you have anything else you want to say to me? No, I No, there is, I think. There's something you want to say to me. Oh, well, there is. I mean, there is. But before that, I want to tell people that they can follow us at ah. C underscore Kavna and R4C Dent on Twitter. Guru's Pod is the account of the podcast. We are on Instagram, Facebook. We have a subreddit. There's an unofficial Discord. There's commemorative mugs. There's pins <laughs> you can get. There's a, a pillows that you can buy from stores. There's, there's, like, there's like straw effigies of Chris you can set up in your backyard. I've and got my own vaccine burned. protocol <laughs> I'm releasing in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Yeah, work for me. Work for me. Work for me. I took it. <laughs> I, I feel like twice the man that I used to be. Yeah. So we're we're around. We're around. You can find us if you want. We're out uh, and about. And, yeah. And Matt, the last thing then is you know, I'm not actually don't go grovel at the point of your muscle master. Yeah, don't because it, it might be Rogan. He might ah. be your muscle master. You might. <laughs> accidentally be tempted to grovel at his feet and he doesn't deserve it. So go grovel at the feet of your mental maestro. Mental maestro. Okay. I will. That's a shame. That's a shame. Well, I did feel that the muscle master thing was getting vaguely sexual, which was disturbing to me, but so good. I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. That's the term that's never been applied to Joe Rogan. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll we'll we'll see you next time for something more fun. Yeah, sorry everyone. Sorry it wasn't fun. Bye. Bye. Bye.